A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, head eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center Podcast Feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And this episode of Force Center, we are going to revisit Empire Strikes Back for its 40th anniversary. Happy birthday, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back revisited. Man, that is, Joseph, a long stretch of time that has gone in a quick blink. And I uh, don't even remember seeing this one in the theaters because I didn't. 
<laughs> I do, and I, uh, it, it's a hell of a thing to have to face the truth that I do remember seeing a film this old in the theaters. But it still stands up for a lot of different reasons. We're going to dive in on that. But before we do all that and get to the news, we want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, have our Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, life adventures, Star Wars adventures. What do you got going on? Yeah, no, plenty of life adventures, but they all get to be relatively similar. I am working hard <laughs> in my home, doing a couple of online shows, uh, eating out by eating, getting things from a restaurant and bringing it into my home. All sorts of weird adventures. Um, yeah. But my, my big Star Wars adventure, besides, you know, all the things that we do and talk about on Force Center, mm-hmm. is uh, on May 4th, uh, I did a bunch of Star Wars stuff. And then the last thing I did before I went to bed, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up how much uh, a specific action figure costs. <laughs> and it finally got delivered. Uh, so I, I opened up this week uh, the Clone Wars animated series Obi-Wan Kenobi in just Ooh. a beautiful action figure. Oh yeah, armor. What did the, the the like the first season armor? What, what what's on? Very the very subtle armor. It's just it's not the shoulders. It's just the the wrists. Uh, oh. But he's posed, you know, and he's got his his lightsaber, and he's got just a little bit of a wry expression on his face, and it's just oh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much I wanted it and missed it, you know. Um, got that embo figure recently from uh, first rate Nate and I put them next to each other and it just like, there it is. There it is in plastic. Uh, my love of the clone wars animated series right there. So that was great. Uh, and then I had ordered it. I have no idea how many months ago, but my black series, uh, figure of the child finally showed up and it's so tiny, even for black series at the six inch scale, uh, for the, uh, the, the main figures. He's so wee. he's so tiny. It's so cute. Oh my god, I gotta, I gotta grab all of that too. That's, uh, yeah. That kid is it good enough to display? Big enough to display? What do you got? Can you are you keep it in the box? You just hammering that box up against a wall? Oh no, I'm I'm going to take him out of the box. Uh, the Mandalorian uh, sits on my coffee table, uh, so the Mando stares at me while I stare at television. It's great, and uh, he needs a friend. He needs yeah. a friend, so I'm going to take the child out of the box. But then the child comes with uh, these very very small accessories. He's got the frog. He's got the uh, bone broth sip. He's got the tiny little silver ball from the Razor Crest, and he's got a warning on him. Uh, that says, you know, warning comes with small parts and balls. <laughs> so be warned, Ken, if you can't handle small parts and small balls, the child is not for you. Not for you, indeed. Well, I'm ready to dive on into that. Good adventures. Good adventures, sir. How about yourself? What were your adventures? You know, I, 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 I this is going to get, uh, I don't know, potentially deep and introspective. So first of all, I, I finally got to play Battlefront 2 again. Um couldn't get to Scarif. Like, I got in on the wrong time of the rotation of the map. I feel and, your pain. You know, and I have no problem. You know, do I wish you could select it? I get yes, yes, whatever. I don't care the hows and whys of it. Couldn't get to it. So I had to shut it off after like five uh, games, which were fun games, back and forth games. And it was good. So we'll get there. We'll get there. But I have been 
I rewatched uh, or, or I finished out Resistance, which uh, you and I are going to talk a little bit more in depth up, uh, about soon. Um, and so for them, I was like, it, it's great workout material. You know, you put on Disney Plus on the phone and you get on the the the, the, the running machine there, the old uh, the old whatever machine you want to call it. Um, treadmill. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Ken. Um, <laughs> and uh, what a world we live in. You can watch Star Wars on your phone. So I was like, uh, let me let me give Rebels a go again. You know, I haven't watched it since it went off air. And by this end of the, you know, actually all seasons I was doing, you know, the reviews on YouTube shows on it, but, but it was such a, just a, a reminder of how much, uh, I've, I've just grown as a star Wars fan and, and, and started to take deeper lessons and the way we talk about it a lot on, on force center, I got to the, what is it like episode four or five, which is the breaking ranks episode, which is the Zare Leonis episode when Ezra's in the Imperial Academy. Mm. Doing it stuff and i just remember at the time and not that and i want this not not I want this to be clear not that anything's wrong with this i just remember at the time being like "Ooh, here's a clue because remember force awakens hadn't come out yet right here's a clue this is that john boyega's character maybe it's a relative uh maybe uh he's uh you know joe leonis and this was his father or cousin or something and and oh you know his zare leonis's sister is missing and that could lead to this maybe that's part of the plot of episode seven all that's fine. All that is 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 part of the fun of being a Star Wars fan. But man, it was a reminder to me of how much that was my focus about what kind of staffs are showing up from what characters <laughs> and all those kind of things and how much uh, I just missed what was going on in that episode and what, what I missed what was going on in season one of Rebels. Because I always say I don't like season Rebels one as much as the other ones. Now nah, that's normal with the TV show. The shows grow, they get bigger, all those kind of things. That's fair, fair to say. But I, I'm watching, and I can't believe just I just stuff that it wasn't. A, I just didn't forget. I just I wasn't letting myself feel in the mm -hmm. first episodes of Rebels. But it's all there, and it's all there. And yes, the show gets bigger and even better, and that's the way it should be with shows. Um, so it's been an interesting, just uh, reflective time as a Star Wars fan for me. This is my journey. We all have different journeys through Star Wars, but it was a good just signpost of, oh, remember when I just talked for hours about this has to be a sign and it's a how and it's a what, but now we all ask why and that's more important to us here. And, I, and it was a good time. It was a good, it was a good lesson. That's great. I am, I'm really excited to rewatch Rebels. I've got the gift and the curse of my wife, far more gift that she is so into rewatching Star Wars stuff with me. So there's a part of me who's like, can I just stay up super late <laughs> and yeah. power watch Rebels? And she's like, no, I'd really like to rewatch Rebels too. So then we have to, you know, plan it out with all of our other uh, viewing responsibilities. Uh, yeah. Far more of a gift than a curse. But uh, I'm super excited to dig back into Rebels because I think uh, in a different way, I was a little distracted by the surface for the first uh, several episodes. As it got toward the end of the season, I, I got hooked. But I think because it was the first Disney Star Wars, mm -hmm. and I got distracted because it felt like in that first episode, like it was trying to give me the, don't worry, we know you don't like the prequels. Here's the original trilogy noises and ships. And these kind of characters feel like they're from the original trilogy, don't they? Um and I think maybe there was a little bit of a marketing intent with that, but I got so distracted by that that it took me a, a little bit to get past that. And now mm -hmm. I think when I go back to rewatch, I'll doubt, I don't think I'll even see that, you know? And, and it's another reminder for myself about how much of our own perspective of uh, time and baggage that we bring to things that we're watching. So I'm really looking forward 
to rewatching it as you are saying, looking for what are the ideas, what is what's baked into this, and and I feel like I, I know a lot of them, but I haven't sat down and enjoyed it for myself and gone back on that ride without those personal distractions. Yeah, and hey, look, we now you have the benefit of seeing where knowing where the show goes and within. So now some of the moments have a little more, uh, you know, there's a heightened sense of importance to some of the moments. I, I get that too, but no. I think you'll find too, Joseph. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, I was with you. So I remember complaining about the speeder bike sounds. Like, I get it. Like, oh, <laughs> man, come a long way. Uh, fun, one final thing. So you talk about, uh, you know, you watch Star Wars with Sarah. Uh, Friday night, watched the Mando uh, doc, which we broke down yesterday on the Mandalorian Report. Uh, Grace and I watched that. She's like, after that, you know, it was kind of early in the, our, our Friday evening. She's like, I, I want to watch episode one. I said, that sounds great. Let's do it. So we put it in. And this is, so there's a movie. We're just past 20 years of, of having this movie in our laps, uh, you know, having the VHS at home, having the DVDs, having the Blu-rays, it's multi-formatted. I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> I'm a Star Wars fan that's had to study these, every frame for trivia and everything. But every once in a while, Joseph, I'm surprised by something that I completely missed. And might, might be the crystal clear uh, 4K Disney Plus version, or my TV's better. I don't know the reasons why, I don't care. I, for the first time in my life, saw Ben Quadraneros inspecting his pod in the big, uh, in the big uh, warehouse area where, oh, where wow. Qui-Gon and Watso are, are having their little conversation, their little chance cube bet. And there's an establishing shot zooming in and there's Quadraneros <laughs> walking along. Expect I never have seen that. And we just did the big pod race episode. Look at, I just, I was like, I just, this is star Wars is a gift that keeps on giving more Quadraneros. <laughs> It's so great. It's the way that I really enjoyed watching the original trilogy for a, a long time. And it still happens of like, what's something going on in a corner of the screen that I have never seen? And the prequels have been teased for this. But that idea that like, no, pat, pack information and, and fun in the background. And it, I love that there's still stuff to discover. Yeah. 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 It's fun. It's fun. I love it. Star Wars. It's in our lives. We are really fans people <laughs> let's dive into some news joseph and uh well you know uh, this is the news has just become the unofficial mandalorian casting news uh, uh section here this, uh, <laughs> what we got uh, now so last week our main show comes out what tuesdays around the time we drop the episode this kind of news drops first from slash film claiming the exclusive on this um a story that Katie Sackhoff will be returning, or excuse me, joining the Mandalorian, returning as Bo-Katan cries. Uh, of course, Satine's sister, a popular Clone Wars character, just had her big comeback in Clone Wars Season 7, some great stuff. So, that's the headline. We'll, unconfirmed, okay? Star Wars.com is not confirmed this one yet. Uh, so, uh, let's dive into this. What do we feel about this idea? Uh, not necessarily surprised from some different uh, aspects, but what do you think about Bo-Katan joining this story. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And this is a, this is one that you've been really strongly uh, predicting for uh, a long time. And I think you're, you're spot on. I suspect that this will be confirmed soon. I, I'm, I'm really, really happy with this because to me, it speaks to a couple of different threads that the Mandalorian season two seems to be heading toward. Uh, one of which is, Hey, we got Moff Gideon who has some Mandalorian baggage and he has the, the dark saber that is the symbol of Mandalore that, you know, we last saw in our chronology uh, of Bo-Katan wielding. So it really does double down on 
this is going to be at least on some level an exploration of a continuing exploration of what does it mean to be a Mandalorian, but widening out from this Mandalorian to the larger culture. And then there's this added uh, uh, energy that Bo-Katan brings is we left off with the Mandalorian having um, spoilers. If you haven't watched Mandalorian, tune out for a few seconds. Um, we left off with the Mandalorian needing to find where the child belongs, either its planet, its species, or just more force users in general. And yeah. Bo-Katan is somebody who's like, yeah, the Jedi weren't a myth or a lie like the Imperial propaganda said. I dealt with a bunch of them. I fought with a bunch of them. They're flesh and blood. Let me find one for you. Feels like to me another thread that's possible. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, when, when uh, you know, Moff Gideon pops out of that TIE fighter at the end, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, um, I guess spoilers, spoilers throughout, my friends. Um, when he pops out with that with that dark saber, it's like either we're going to get an answer that he took it from her cold dead body, or we're going to see that in a flashback, or we're going to see her. And the idea that we're going to get to see uh, Katie Sackhoff, a performer, uh, I, I've, I've uh, loved her her work, I love her take on Starbuck, love that Battlestar reboot. Uh, it was only a little bit later that I was fortunate enough to, to meet her and work with her on some silly little shows, YouTube shows and whatnot. But aside from that, I just love what she brings. I love the intensity. I love her vocal uh, performances uh, and just overall acting performance in season seven of Clone Wars. So I'm just excited all the way around. And like you said, what we think we might be heading for, it all kind of tracks. Yeah, yeah. And it, it ties together so many uh, ideas. And she's a fabulous actor. So I'm really happy to see it. And Hope it's I, confirmed soon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, again, confirmations, confirmations, uh, forthcoming, maybe. So, nothing, again, nothing's been confirmed. But with some of the characters rumored to be showing up, uh, you know, some of it might be wishful thinking. Some of, some of it might just, yeah, that seems like it could be something there, including this uh, Bo-Katan. Uh, we're kind of looking, and I, I'm putting, you know, quotations around kind of, kind of looking at Rebels 2 live-action version. Or are we, Joseph? What do you, what's your thoughts on just that? Do you have a problem with that overall? Do you think maybe it's not going to be that straightforward type of thing? What do you, what's your ideas on that? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as that. I understand seeing the casting rumors, and if you believe them all, you believe that Ahsoka's there, you believe that uh, Bo-Katan is there, you believe that uh, not only is Tamar Morrison playing Boba Fett, he's also playing Rex. It, 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 it does uh, start to look like a continuation of uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, but I just feel like, look, look at the storytelling that we had in Mandalorian Season 1. It is tip of the iceberg storytelling. Only things that are there are because they absolutely have to be narratively uh, and thematically for Mando. So I don't think it's going to be like Rebels was really cool because it introduced us to this whole new cast of characters. And we absolutely got their story. But then we did get and now some of the famous episodes like Twilight of the Apprentice. It's about Vader and Ahsoka. Twin Sons is about Obi-Wan Kenobi and Maul. Uh, I don't. My instinct is the Mandalorian season two isn't going to be like that, where there's like chapter four, a Mando bumps into Rex and Ahsoka, and then it's their story for the rest of the episode. It just doesn't feel like the storytelling that they've done before. It really doesn't. And, and, and again, from, from this perspective, it would feel odd to me. It would feel odd to me if, <laughs> you know, hello, I'm Mandalorian. I'm here to help you. Oh, great. Okay, cool. We're going to go look for Ezra. Do you want to come along? Like, <laughs> you know, 
and, and that, that I would actually imagine that story would be completed possibly by this time, but we'll not, we will find out. Yeah. I I'm like, I'm, I'm like you, Joseph. I, I trust what they're going to do. I'm trust that this might've, some of it could have been, you know, when you sit down, when Favreau comes to Lucasfilm, Disney says, Hey, I'd like to do this. Hey, Kathleen Kennedy says, once you work with Dave, this might be good for you. I, I'm sure at some point they said, Hey, here, here's how this goes two or three seasons down the line. Let's get it all in. And it isn't just wedged in. I would never think that would be the case. Uh, and that there's a plan. Just like you said, some of the other shows, uh, particularly Rebel, uh, particularly rebels. I mean, for rebels, I, I didn't, you and I were talking about our first season one impressions. I would not, no way would I have thought that, that show is going to end up with Obi-Wan, Maul, Ahsoka, Rex, all those characters. And I might've been, I don't want that. Don't please don't bring that. I, that was Clone Wars, a different show. It's all Star Wars. So I trust that they'll do it right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just don't think there's any evidence that the Mandalorian is a character and the style of the show is going to be set aside for mm. any other priority. Exactly. It just would not work. Next, uh, <laughs> next, next uh, news bib. Hey, the Mando cast grows slowly, one <laughs> at a time. Hollywood Reporter and others are uh, reporting that Timothy Oliphant has been uh, revealed to be one of the many names set to appear in Mando Season 2. Uh, so we got that. I mean, Michael B and all these characters pop up along the way, all these rumored characters. It just keeps growing and growing. So first, we'll talk about this, uh, Timothy Oliphant. A lot of people talk about the Western connections to the show. Obviously, they are very much there. Uh, Mandalorian has so many strong Western vibes. And Oliphant has played two notable Western-themed roles, Deadwood and Justified. So all that makes sense. But, hey, you know, he's also done a lot of other things, done some comedy, uh, good turns elsewhere. Um, what do you think, Joseph? Do you want him to bring something unexpected to the show? Or are you content with, like, yep, he's a good cowboy. Let's bring in those themes here. I think he should play the exact same character he plays in Scream 2. I think that's exactly what he needs to do. It's what Star Wars needs. Uh, no, I mean, he, he it's great. He's, he's great as a uh, Western uh, character, but I don't know Justified. I know Deadwood. I think I can also see him playing um, not just like a I, I'm a gunslinger in that archetype kind of way, but in Deadwood, he also plays this good person who is mm -hmm. prone to violence and who is very obsessed with trying to make the law work and make his version of the law work. So I could see him as playing somebody who is very much like I'm struggling in the void of government left by the empire falling and the new Republic, not setting everything up in time. And I'm really struggling to be a, a good person, but I, I got some issues. I like that. You're selling me on that kind of idea. A, a, a lawman, if you will, doesn't necessarily need to be just that, but I like that idea. So, uh, uh he's definitely Cobb Vance from aftermath. That's what it is. <laughs> I've confirmed it. He took Boba Fett's armor, and now he is uh, patrolling Tatooine. So there you go. Solved. We got it. Oh, you're joking, but uh, yeah, that's not bad. Not a bad idea. Uh, uh, yeah, again, he, he's done a lot of things. He's he's very popular. Sometimes I'd say he even has a bit of a cult following. A lot of people uh, do love him. And I, I'm a big fan of Deadwood as well. I'm not too familiar with Just, Justified either. Um, other than I think it was at one point maybe came on after It's Always Sunny, and that's when my DVR cut out. So I don't know. <laughs> um, 
I could be wrong, but Deadwood, I really do like. So, hey, if he brings that and, and, and if it is what expected, that's a win. If it's something completely different and he's a barkeeper or he's an alien or he's uh, Amy Sedaris's, uh, you know, a Tatooine uh, partner in crime building, the, uh, working at that space part, spaceport. Great, too. I think uh, we win either way with someone like him. Uh, so we get some welder, wild character. Do you, do you have a wild, wild character prediction, Joseph? Wu Hare's son. That's a way. Oh yeah, <laughs> shame. Or or like I was gonna say, it's a shame. It comes back and it's like a shame. Droids run this place, but maybe he bought the bar, fired uh, his dad Wu Hair, and then brought in droids. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Although I do want Ted Danson to play a bartender at some point in Star Wars, just so I can you know continue to collect uh, my Star Wars uh, Cheers characters action figures and really collect them all at some point. What we need. Final thing out of this story, I gotta ask here at this point, would you rather just have the official full cast confirmation? Uh, or at this point, do you want just like shut up rumors and innuendo and just give me a complete surprise? I don't know who's in the show at all. Where, oh, where wow. I feel like that ship has sailed, the uh the oh, surprise, <laughs> right? Um it sailed. Yeah, I mean the child lockdown uh in terms of us knowing about that before the premiere of the first episode and the launch of Disney plus was so successful. It makes me feel like if there was a desire to keep something locked down, maybe there are still some big surprises, but it definitely feels like something is, is going on that all of these things are coming out from reputable sources, mm -hmm. uh, that it, it does feel like it's this slow drip. And a part of me is ready for just like, we've got a lot of big names over the last two weeks. So like, let's, let's just do the cast list. Let's just do the director's list. I'm ready. I'm ready for the official Lucasfilm uh, announcement. Here's what it is. Yeah. Now, one thing is, you know, just sit here. And even if it's officially confirmed, Hey, Timothy Oliphant, Michael Bean, all these people are in it, not knowing the roles they're playing, especially if they're legacy characters or, or names are familiar with, just knowing the names is kind of cool. It creates, creates a little bit of uh, you know, extra added anticipation about what they're going to do. Uh, but then, you know, this could just be one scene. He could walk around, he could hand a gun to Mandalore. I don't know. Or it could be something a little more, more meaty. It's hard to say sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask you, cause I saw a lot of people speculating about this. How, how do you feel about the idea of Timothy Oliphant as Cad Bane? I, I, gosh, I've done such a good job muting words. I, um, <laughs> didn't see that one. I, that's pretty good. You know, that's pretty good. I saw some of the, oh, he's playing a young Constable Zuvia stuff going around, but um, I could see that because it's oddly enough, he, he kind of looks like him. Put a hat <laughs> on him and some makeup. He's a Duros to me. Good looking Duros, but he's a Duros. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it, it makes so much sense as the spirit of the character that obviously Timothy Oliphant has played Western badasses who have the same energy that Cad Bane does. But, you know, we just watched this episode of the Disney gallery Mandalorian talking about, do you take a well-known actor and hide him? Obviously you have to with Pedro Pascal. That's the point yeah. of the story, but to Timothy Oliphant and he's wearing a giant blue mask. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. Cause a big question about Cad Bane, Boba Fett, that the Lost Clone, Clone Wars stuff, everything. Does if that does that count? I don't know. I don't know. Oh boy, stuff to think about. Stuff to think about. That's right.
All right. That's the headlines for now until moments after this episode is recorded and uploaded and something else is released. But we'll talk about it when we have a chance to talk about it. That's the news. Before we get on to a break and the main topic, Joseph, what is our uh, Four Center Recommends today? I was looking for a recommendation that goes along with us talking about Empire Strikes Back. And in modern canon, you know, we don't have a lot of books that happen around or in Empire Strikes Back. So I was looking at Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. That is not only a great introduction to modern Star Wars canon, but it'll make you look at some beats in Empire Strikes Back in a way you never have before. Absolutely. And download your free audio, free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audio book. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Reset on the other side. It's the Empire Strikes Back Revisited. Stick around for more Force Center. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hey, Four Center fans, don't forget Four Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you and more shows on the way. It's Four Center on YouTube. Check it out. strikes back to celebrate its 40th anniversary it can be a struggle to take something that is so important such an important part of star wars that has existed for so long and put it into some kind of new context to revisit it with some kind of fresh eyes but that's what we're going to do ken we're going to try to make our eyes fresh starting with some facts that you found about the empire strikes back yeah easy to find these facts on the uh, internet uh, site of your choice but i I love going back just kind of look at some of the bare bones stats around this movie as we all know release kind of worldwide may 21st 1980 it did have its debut uh, as most movies do a few er, uh, days earlier which is uh, listed in some uh, sites uh, this interesting to note. This was the same opening weekend as The Shining. For amazing, yeah, that's some counter programming right there. <laughs> yeah, here's Vader. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the budget ended up being thirty-three million. A New Hope was eleven million, and I think the uh, budget was originally sa- slated at eighteen million. Some great stuff in Empire of Dreams about how the budget started to go. The uh, loan company. Because, again, Lucas was doing this all on his own, just kind of Fox had the kind of the distribution stuff going on, that side of things. They cut the loan, just a bare bones. Nope, you, 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 your budget swelled. Our boss says you got to get cut. Some people quit. Uh, this ended up uh, kind of having to do with Alan Ladd's, uh, Alan Jr.'s departure from Fox, which, of course, spun off into Lucas saying, nah, I'm taking Raiders of the Lost Ark to Paramount, not to you, Fox, for what you did to Laddie. So had some uh, stuff there, but the budget finishes at $33 million. The box office, the rough take right now, $547.9 million, but uh, $181.4 in its first run, and that's on olden times money. That's a, that's a big run, Joseph. And it was, again, re-released a few times in 81, 82, leading up to Jedi. Uh, did you see any of those uh, second runs? Uh, no, I, I did not. Mm. Uh I saw it twice in the theater in its initial run, so I am a very small part of that $181 million, which is more than $33 million, so that math looks good to me. It's a good math. It's a good math, even in olden times credits there. Director Irving Kirshner, as we know, I love listening to the late Irving Kirshner talk. Uh, he's the star of Empire of Dreams for me when he's talking about, you know, I had to have romance, but I couldn't have smooching and all those other things. He's just so great. Uh, and he, of course, was Lucas's teacher at USC. And uh, they went to Kirsch and said, please. And he said, no, there's no way this movie could be better than the, sec- the first one. But his agent said, you're crazy. Peter uh, Shushitsky, I can never uh, say that. I hope I'm never asked that in a trivia contest. Um, <laughs> he's the director of photography, the cinematographer. And I, that is my favorite shot Star Wars film. The lighting, the, sh- the shot composition, all those kind of technical terms. I don't fully understand. I just react to the emotions. I really love how this movie looks. And I sometimes, 
my Star Wars look, if I go forward on these other movies, I want it to match up to this one more than, say, A New Hope, which a lot of times things seem to be angling towards that. Uh, I don't know if you have that thought at all or, or anything like that, Joseph. Yeah, no, and this will come up in our conversation, but for me, Empire Strikes Back is like, if my soul could have a tattoo, it, it would be oh. Empire Strikes Back, and part of that is the utterly striking uh, visuals, that that deep, dark blue in the yeah. lurid orange of the carbon freezing chamber mm. and the just beautiful clouds of Cloud City and the kind of vast wasteland of Hoth and all of these yeah. aesthetics that a lot of it comes from not just the design, but the way it's lit are just, they're like a part of me. Uh, well said. Tattoo of your soul right there. Editor's Paul Hirsch. He, of course, worked on New Hope uh, with Marshall Lucas and Richard Chu. They won an Academy Award for that. He had the helm here himself. Hirsch goes on, by the way, a great career. He's still going. He edits uh, edits a lot of big movies going forward, even uh, still working uh, relative to the last couple of years here. Uh, awards, speaking of awards, three nominations and one win at the, uh, what was it, 53rd Academy Awards in, in 1981. It wins for Best Sound, but also received a Special Achievement Academy Award. And then a lot of different British Academy Awards, a lot of different nominations. I didn't know this one. Saturn Awards. Kirshner won for Best Director. And Mark Hamill won for Best Actor. I did not know that fact. And I find the reason I find that Interesting to me, Joseph, is, is Hamill has a lot of respect now, especially what he did in Last Jedi, and, and a lot of people said that was his best performance. He does some great stuff here in Empire that we're going to talk about, but I think there was a point where he was maybe not as viewed by some in pop culture as, as, as good as an actor, especially compared to Harrison Ford and the big star he became, and he goes and proves himself as a voice actor, which is a different skill set, but in the same ballpark. I love seeing that he won an acting award, because I think he deserved it for Empire. Absolutely. I mean, I think he deserves awards for every single one of his appearances as Luke Skywalker, but as has been talked about now that the movie has is, you know, lauded as a classic, the job that he did on Dagobah to sell not everything every, that Luke was experiencing, but to sell the reality of Yoda is just phenomenal. It's tremendously key to the success of the movie. Let's look at some old reviews. So here's the thing. This has been done other places. There's great videos. Hello Greedo put out a video about a year ago looking at the old reviews. And it's talked about a lot. And I think there was a point. And Joseph, you and I are kind of, you know, same era, give or take a year. You saw Empire in, in theaters, you, you lucky dog. I saw Jedi first <laughs> in theaters. But it is forgotten how it was received, especially if we're you know, like us a little younger at the time. And we, the concept of movie critics would seem rather foreign to us. I didn't think figure out what that was till very uh, much later on in life, watching uh, Siskel and Ebert on syndication or something like that. Um, like, that's a job? You can review movies? And look, I think it's a great <laughs> job. I think it's a great job, and, and I know a lot of uh, folks that do it, and we're in and around that industry. But at the time, the movie by fans and critics, mixed at times, would you say, right? Mixed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so foreign from my life experience because, you know, my view as a child was everybody loved it. The Yoda action figure was hard to find. It was mm. plastered everywhere. It was, you know, everything that it, every other kid on the block wanted to talk to me about. And my dad even liked it. And my mom liked it. My mom worried maybe I liked it too much, but still <laughs> they liked it. And yeah, I, I didn't have a... I. I didn't have a concept of, uh, of movie reviewers, mm. uh, but the concept that somebody could not like Empire Strikes Back from me as a kid is, you know, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing indeed. There is a great 
archived article on StarWars.com by Mark Newbold that kind of summarizes it. This is, uh, again, a few years ago, so he's talking about the 34th uh, anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, and he goes into some of those old reviews. He goes into a lot of positive ones. Pauline Kael's actually pretty uh, positive, especially uh, for her and her reputation as being as a, as a hard and very well-respected movie critic. Uh, but he goes into a couple of the more famous ones that we want to highlight here, and this can be uh, found elsewhere, even in Hello Greedo's video. He covers these ones. Uh, Vincent Canby, New York Times. Vincent Canby. I don't know. I don't know this gentleman, but it sounds like he might talk like this. Um, here's some. I've pulled a couple of highlights, but I want to dive into this one here. Um, and look, there's some some of them. You go, okay, maybe there's a point here and there, but there's just some stuff that pops up that we're going to talk about the connective threads and themes in some of these negative reviews and uh, fan receptions. But he says this: it is the second film in a projected series that may last longer than the civilization civilization that produced it. <laughs> No, no, not necessarily wrong. Um, he says, the force is with us, indeed, and a lot of it is hot air. Ooh. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back is about as personal as a Christmas card from a bank. Ouch, babe. Ouch. A lot of things in there. I mean, there's some infuriating things. There's just uh, the way he just kind of just, just says some bad things about Carrie Fisher and her, as calls her a, as sexlessly pretty as the base of a porcelain lamp. Just some bad stuff in here. Just bad yeah. stuff. What do you think about Mr. Canby's review? Well, I had some powerful emotional reactions to mm. this review, uh, not surprisingly. Um, yeah, I was, I was talking about this actually on uh, on my podcast, Obsessed, mm. uh, this last week with my wife. Uh, he, Vincent Canby reminds me of characters that I've written. I, I wrote a show called Worst Show in the Fringe, Fringe Festival, this big uh, performing festival that happens everywhere. But I was involved in the Minnesota Fringe. And yeah. there would be critics who would write from this very this perspective of being above the material so very very far above the material like very much the critic in ratatouille so i wrote a play where a critic like this you know ripped apart somebody's show and they kidnapped them and then the whole show was about the artist and the critic kind of working it out but it, it's that kind of thing where it's it's not you're not just saying your opinion it's like you're performing. Like, mm -hmm. I want to show you how witty I am. I don't want to say I think Carrie Fisher, you know, didn't, you know, come across as vital and full of life. I want to have everybody see how witty I am by comparing her to a lamp. Oh, my. <laughs> he writes, <laughs> and it, it makes me so angry. Yeah. It writes, he has no beginning or end. It, it has no beginning or end, being simply another chapter in a serial that appears to be continuing not onward and upward, but sideways. How then to review it? The fact I am here at this minute facing a reproachful typewriter and attempting to get a fix on The Empire Strikes Back <laughs> is perhaps proof of something I've been suspecting for some time now. That, and this is interesting, that is there is more nonsense being written, spoken, and rumored about movies today than any other of the so-called popular arts except rock music. Essentially, uh, he just predicted uh, YouTube, but um, <laughs> there's a lot there. A lot there. The reproachful typewriter made me think of that. Yeah. There's another line of his that grabbed me is that uh, Yoda's dialogue reads like it should be uh, set to the music of uh, mm -hmm. Jimmy Van Heusen, mm -hmm. which is... You know, I just I just like it. Uh, this kind of life coming full circle for me. I was uh, I'm a big fan of Frank Sinatra. Jimmy Van Heusen wrote the music, not the lyrics for a mm -hmm. lot of Sinatra's songs. And for me, now that being able to step back from being such a young kid in Empire Strikes Back came out and loving it mm -hmm. so much to understand, to read the cultural context of this, of 
Vincent Canby's perspective is somebody from an older generation of entertainment mm. and to have that, uh, the only thing being overanalyzed more than science fiction films is rock music. Is <laughs> <laughs> That's utterly a story yeah. of somebody coming at it from their point of view mm. culturally and not trying to see what it is, not trying to have an open mind of what it could be, but just compared to my life, my perspective, mm-hmm. does it have any worth? No. <laughs> rock and roll music. Rock and roll. He goes a lot into, under, he doesn't understand the plot. He just says, I'm not sure I understand the plot. Because he does say it's not a it's not a bad movie. He says, Empire Strikes Back is not truly a terrible movie. It's a nice movie. He does give it that kind of uh, a pat on the head. But yeah, it talks about the plot, which is interesting. This is one of the things we'll come back to. That uh, this is actually one of the more charming conceits of Star Wars, which began with a long, intensely complicated message about who was doing what to whom in the galactic confrontations we were about to witness, and which, when we did see them, looked sort of like a game of neighborhood hide and seek at the Hayden Planetarium. One didn't worry about its politics; only one one only had to distinguish the good persons from the bad. So uh, this gets into this like. Uh, the state of the galaxy, all those kind of the conversations we have now, because the the impulse, uh, one's impulse to know, to understand, cannot be arrested indefinitely without with psychic damage or worse, without risking boredom. So this idea that I don't know what's going on is something that I think comes back time and time again. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And this idea that being asked to consider it underneath the surface is a flaw of the thing itself is pretty fascinating. And and I just think it, it goes to a kind of larger cultural discussion that I'm sure we'll talk about some more that it seemed like people who were maybe not sure about Star Wars, particularly if they were of a specific generation and science fiction had always been kind of lower culture and here yeah. Star Wars was so successful in a way that they could wrestle it uh, with it. Even Al Guinness says this up to a point of like, it's a simple, charming story of good and evil. And then Empire Strikes Back comes along and it is very much not. And it feels like they don't know what to make of it because the one thing that they could understand about A New Hope was now kind of gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff too about that's part of this movie's legacy then, right? It's just like, cool, we're, we're expanding the galaxy and the story of the characters you knew and fell in love with, but also taking the good guy, bad guy, big win, and here's a medal at the end, and continuing that in a bigger, deeper, at times darker way, and more important way. Yeah, that was the time. That was part of what Lucas felt, uh, faced in even getting his first movie made. A science fiction, a space picture. Like, like, oh, what are you talking about? And I think it's part of uh, Peter Jas- Jackson's success, I've, I've mentioned here before, but just like, yeah, we're gonna, we got wizards, we got elves, and we're going to play it seriously, because this this is serious stuff. It is important stuff. It is these modern myths. So I, I think it's interesting that you're saying that. Even even Sir Alec Guinness, God bless him, had uh, probably would have agreed with Vincent Canby on some points, maybe. <laughs> I think he would have. He's got that great quote where he says a bunch of great, there's an interview where Alec Guinness says all these great things about Star Wars and then just says, I just ask you to not think about it too much. And I, <laughs> Almost every time we sit down to do Four Center for a couple hours, I'm like, um... I'm sorry, Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Final thought on this one, and we'll move on to the other review. I assume that Lucas supervised the entire production and made the major decisions, or at least approved of them. It looks like a movie that was directed at a distance. Ouch. Kirsch, man, probably feeling that. And because that wasn't necessarily true on the day-by-day level. Camby wraps up saying, at this point, the adventures of Luke Leia and Han Solo appeared to be a self-sustaining organism 
beyond criticism except on a corporate level. Interesting take. I understand some of that, but not right, but I understand it. It's definitely not beyond criticism, Vincent can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that, I, I, I recognize that I am uh, uh, putting forth a lot of bias because I have had a lot of different ups and downs in relationship with the idea of criticism and the larger cultural forces of, of what it recognizes. But that last line is fascinating to me because in a way, what I hear him saying is, look, the people like it and it's going to make money hand over fist no matter what I say. Um, where did my power go? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely part of it sometimes. Absolutely. Mm. Good point. Good point. We move on to the Washington Post. Judith Martin writes. Now, uh, she does take some, uh, there's some stuff in there that's uh, about, shall we say, the diversity of the cast of New Hope that I thought she brought up and uh, was uh, pertinent and important and, 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 and truthful, just wrapped in some... Um, um, she takes, she's very, she's a lot of barbs, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stinging barbs <laughs> at Star Wars. But she writes this, uh, some highlights there. Uh, this is no monumental artistic work, but a science fiction movie done more snappily than most, including its own predecessor. Uh, I guess that's positive. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back has no plot structure. Again, no character studies. What? Let alone character development. No emotional or philosophical point to make. She clearly was writing notes during the Dagobah sequence, right? Um, and this one's pulled from some other things. She talks about Luke. Uh, he's hanging upside down. He's uh, getting in trouble. <laughs> he loses a fight. She says, it is hard to avoid the suspicion that Skywalker is dull-witted. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Then, I uh, love her turn of phrase that he's uh, hanging upside down for most of the film. Yes. It's like, all right, fair enough. You know what? I, I never don't... really did put those yeah. pieces together between... Yep, and, yep. Uh, and I have a lot of those action figures where he's hanging upside down in the Wampa want, Cave. He's doing that uh, keg stand yeah. uh, to lift some rocks, hanging she's, from the weather vane. He, he does hang He does. Yeah, she's not wrong. She's not wrong, yeah. Uh, the Force, she says, doesn't seem to be connected with ethics or a code of decent behavior either. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Qui-Gon would like to talk to her. And maybe think some stuff around. So uh, her goes on. Uh, anything you want to pull out of this one here, uh, Joseph? Uh, there's a lot here. A lot of it's similar, but her own take on it. Yeah, I, I would say with a bunch of these reviews that there is, uh, trying to put myself in in their point of view, uh, their uh, critic shoes, I do understand how you might have some resistance when you aren't looking at this is just the second chapter. Mm -hmm. And you aren't willing to... Um, map some of the hero's journey stuff that is mapped over it now that you're just going, this is just, okay, so they just had a bunch of other adventures. It didn't resolve. Uh, mm. Are there just going to be thousands of these forever? And I can understand a little bit of that perspective mm. of not uh, knowing the full swing of how much Luke is going to implement what he learned in the next film. Yeah, she she compares Empire to a good hot dog at, at times, a chocolate bar, <laughs> marvelously sweet. So she's got that kind of thing. And look, I think there's, I get it. I get the, you know, sometimes you just want to watch a, a trashy reality show and turn off your mind. And she has that kind of approach. It's just what with Star Wars, it, it is amazing. She's not plugged in. She's she's missing some of the bigger things that we all all see. But I also see other things. Other big budget movies for me sometimes fall flat because they they don't have they're not good at doing what Lucas or, or all of Star Wars does and 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 approaching it from this modern myth these big lessons that actually work and have meaning and and are important a lot of them are fluff so I understand some of that but that's why I love digging into it 
Because even a movie like Solo still faces the, I mean, it was all right. It was like a hot dog in Star Wars. I didn't need it. And you dig in, you go uh, past the relish in the mustard, and you got a lot of meat and that bun there on Solo. So I think it, it, it's, again, <laughs> um, now I'm getting hungry. Um, it's it's uh, it's these repeative, uh, re- you know, repeated kind of themes in these criticisms of Star Wars. I think uh, it keep popping up to me, uh, look, going back to these reviews. It's not just that Empire wasn't, uh, not everyone liked it. It's just... It's often not like for some of the same reasons people don't like Star Wars stuff today who are even Star Wars fans. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like this review, strangely uh, speaking across the vast void of space and time, like that review has a direct relationship to why a lot of us really liked that Disney Gallery episode about legacy mm-hmm. and uh, Filoni's speech and even Carl Weathers talking about, oh, I, there was all this stuff there and I didn't see it is because this is a part of the magic of Star Wars and a lot of other genre storytelling is that if people see science fiction on the surface, then it's a hot dog. Mm. It is cotton candy. It is lesser. It is not to be actually considered. Mm. And I think what it is, is that it's not just that Star that Star Wars is a steak. It is that it's a hot dog and a steak. Mm-hmm. It's that Solo is a zip-bang, fast-moving adventure serial and it is absolutely about being an orphan and choosing to be alone and, and how uh, systems of poverty create the people who are desperate. Mm-hmm. It's about all of those things. And that, that's, you know, so much what that episode of Disney Gallery is getting to is it is about the cool, weird, aesthetically pleasing science fiction surface. But it's also this other thing. And we don't have to put things in boxes and say it's a steak mm-hmm. or a hot dog and there's nothing else in between. Yeah, we can have a steak dog. And that's right. That's, <laughs> Star Wars is a steak dog. She, Put it on a T-shirt. She closes her review by saying Skywalker. I don't know if that's a misspelling or uh, in, in, intentional on her part there. They kept <laughs> this is an archive post from the Washington Post. Skywalker uh, is never called to account <laughs> for having behaved unpleasantly to his guru before knowing who he is, even to the context of knocking food out of the hungry guru's hand. How many religions of any kind would tolerate a disciple's having refused to share his food with the disguised spiritual leader? But then you don't go to junk movies for your philosophy or religion, do you? What? I, right. I love this. Oh, so, oh wow. Uh, I mean, and, and we hear she's not 100. Yoda's testing Luke. Yoda's tested yeah. him. She's not wrong there. But I love this idea. <laughs> All right, Luke, now you're in trouble. I knock, you knocked food out of my hands before you knew who I was. You're bad. Yeah, th- I mean, there's so much funny to unpack there. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, on one level, it's like, well, y- y- if, if you do watch the film, uh, Luke does pay. Uh, Yoda says, I'm not going to teach him. And he has to struggle for it. Mm-hmm. And he keeps failing and Yoda basically tells him not to leave and then he uh, absolutely gets his ass handed to him while not actually managing to help his friends at all and instead actually needing to be rescued himself <laughs> so that it, it seems like he he maybe uh, goes through some stuff because of his uh, his mistakes yeah <laughs> but I love I love that in somebody's mind uh, in 1980 what needed to happen is Luke was gonna leave and Yoda's like by the way, I would like you to do seven hooplas, which are the force version of, uh, you know, Hail Marys, you know, uh, Mm. rosaries, uh, you know, to to correct. Yeah. How dare you? I was was hungry. 
knocked it out of my hands. Those you and those damn seagulls. Uh, final one here. We're not going to dive fully into this one here. Uh, we're just re- repeating ourselves at this point. This one's actually kind of positive, and there was a ton of positive reviews out there. Uh, James Harwood wrote for Variety, uh, generally positive, but he, I, I love this at the end. He says, Empire is only three minutes longer than its predecessor, but it seems to be longer than that, probably because of the over-familiarity with some of the space sequences and excessive saber duels between <laughs> Vader and Hamill. So I I like that. Now, it's an interesting point. I, if you're not as razzle-dazzled by the side of a Star Destroyer this time around, you might be like, yeah, 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 get to it. Uh, right or wrong, I understand that a little bit there. But, yeah, I love the perspective because, you know, for a lot of people, Mark Riley comes to mind of, you know, that's his favorite lightsaber fight in Star Wars, and you wouldn't be wrong if that's your choice. Uh, to simply just be like, ah, excessive saber dueling. Ah, check my watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I it totally agree, and I think it is that if, if you're looking at it for that was the power of Star Wars was the uh, super step forward in spectacle that if you're not engaged with what's going on beneath the surface and who the characters are and why they're making those choices, then it's like, well, I saw them bash their light swords together last time, and now they're doing it longer. What's the deal? Especially if you're looking at if you're looking at uh, Obi Wan Vader in Episode Four, you're like, that was like three hits and we're done. Uh, these guys are going, they're changing locations. They're fighting for like an hour. I was, I was bored. Yeah. All right. All right. But again, the yeah. overall positive review, uh, to close up on those reviews, the reason we bring this up. And again, there's a lot of things out there. You can get some great articles. Go check out that starwars.com article. Uh, you just, it, it looking back now, Joseph, just, I don't know. It, it, to me, there's a lot of things keep, keep popping up uh, the, the lot of mention of what we re refer to here uh, and is known as the tip of the iceberg storytelling and how ah, this didn't give me all the answers. And there's, uh, you know, this, uh, this nonstop trials and tribulations with the movies, the plot just kept repeating or um, uh, the pacing was too much. And a lot of like familiarity, familiarity with the universe of like, Oh, there's nothing new. Oh, I've seen these characters before that kept jumping out to me. Um, as as something that that's a connective thread and the reviews then to stuff now. Yeah, yeah, and and to me again to my bias, I feel like those criticisms come up when people don't want to engage with uh, more depth of the story. Or to be fair, they engaged and they didn't find the same depth that that I might. Right. But if you if you don't find what's motivating it underneath more fascinating so you can feel the power of what's at stake for Luke, what's at stake for Vader when they're bashing laser swords together, Mm. then I can get why that criticism keeps coming up uh, from 1980 to Mm. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, look, I sometimes I I do get defensive at Star Wars over Star Wars, but I, you know, I stand on a hill over young guns, the young guns too. And I don't get defensive (laughs) I know I take stuff from that movie that other people don't. So it's a good lesson to you know remind uh, the, us that the, each one, each person has an individual movie going experience. Um, here's one final thought on here, Joseph. We'll wrap up and then we got we got some great stuff coming here diving into this movie. So particularly, uh, I was looking at the the Canby one. There's this kind of thing here where some of the critiques are actually highlighting some of George's intentions, and and some of those intentions might be right or wrong from George. And this one to me ties directly to the prequels. Canby describes Han and Leia's dialogue as bad 1930s B movie lines. <laughs> and 
I, I, you know, how many times I, I'm watching the the Attack of the Clones audio commentary with George, and he just directly addresses that. A lot of a lot of people don't like this dialogue uh, and think the acting's bad. Uh, no, that was on purpose because that's what movies were like back then. <laughs> like, so it's 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 interesting. A lot, of, a lot of this keeps coming up again. Such the prequels are just like that's bad, and George is like, no, yeah, it was intentional, and I don't. I, I side with George on that, though sometimes I'm like, ooh, that was a little bad, but he, I, Last Jedi's like that. Last Jedi, to me, has some of that fun zip-zap-zop, as you describe it sometimes, but just that some kind of, like, 30 serial adventure stuff with even some of the dialogue being uh, not not as strong as you think. And this is from Ryan Johnson, someone who clearly knows how to do it. And Johnson's like, yeah, it's Star Wars stuff. So it, it that, that comes up a lot to me, it's, and it's amazing to see that that was the case back in 80 as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for that one, my mind goes most to the revelation of the title of Attack of the Clones. Mm -hmm. And because I've always been a fan of the adventure serial and the pulpy and that thrill ride part of it that that's got one foot firmly based in that. Yeah, no, the Flash Gordon stuff's cool. We like it. Uh, and then having other people go like, Attack of the Clones? Mm. Where'd that come from? <laughs> and I'm like, it came from the DNA of the idea. <laughs> but people yeah. have, you know, the different different perspectives. And you see that yeah. again and again as Star Wars grows and people make their own attachments to it mm. that, you know, they don't focus on some of these elements that have, for at least from Lucas's perspective and interviews, have, yeah. have always been a part of it. Always been. A lot of those reviews hint at frustrations uh, with having more questions and answers over plot characters' information. And in Hello Greedo's video, he brings up the Rolling Stone interview from 1980 where Harrison Ford directly says that. I don't have the specific quote, but he's like, yeah, I'm hearing this complaint a lot of that, that a lot of things aren't resolved uh, and that they get information that they don't know where that comes from, new characters, new stories. And it's like, yeah, that was our point. We want to make you seek this out more and especially with the next chapter coming. Like, and... <laughs> I mean, I'm like deja vu all over again with some of that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if some of it speaks to um, how much uh, a sequel in those days was another, right? Uh, James Bond movies just keep coming. You know, uh, Dean Martin, Matt Helm, mm. he made another one. He's Matt Helm again. Yep. That, that, whether it's, you know, I'm some examples of something a little bit different, but like things were a series that if people were really looking at this as, especially critics were maybe like, I, I think this is a little bit lower brow. I think it's science fiction and it's got better effects, but it's no different than science fiction has always been. It's junk. It's a hot dog. Um, how many hot dogs am I going to have to sit through? And are people going to always love them and pay money for them? Mm. So then I always have to go grapple with them and see them everywhere. Uh, that's a really interesting perspective to me of not fully realizing, uh, accepting that it was the second part in a three-part story, at least for the original trilogy. Again, part of its legacy, doing so many different things with the series, the sequel, you're right. Jaws 2, 3, 4. Are they in space yet? That's kind of what it was back then. This is something different. Great stuff, great insight. Thank you, Joseph, uh, for letting me look back on the reviews of Empire Strikes Back and what they really mean. And Vincent Canby, God bless you, wherever you might be. You're still with us. Uh, we hope you found the joy that your life needed at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's enjoying some ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not the end of our episode, though, by a long shot. Joseph, it's time to take a deep dive into The Empire Strikes Back. A lot to discuss here today. 
Yeah, yeah, it was really, really great. Thank you, Ken, for for suggesting the reviews and doing the reviews. I think it's a, a good thing to challenge me and some of my biases and to try to get myself uh, out of the mind of of being a small kid who has always loved this movie and looking at it from different perspectives. But now we are going to dive in the way that we always do here on Four Center and really try to see what's going on in Empire Strikes Back, uh, what's at stake, and why does it uh, sit so high in the general esteem of Star Wars now? Uh, sorry, Vincent Canby, uh, people do really <laughs> like the movie now. I'm I'm so sorry. So, Ken, let's dive in there. Why do you think, as a Star Wars fan yourself, why do you think it's considered one of, if not often, the best of the Star Wars films? Man, this is a tough question right from the start because, one, we have so much knowledge of now and so much knowledge of what it became right and where it sits with all the full star wars story uh going back to then because i'll just go back as a, as a child of the original trilogy return of the jedi is my favorite one uh i saw it in the theater it was my first experience uh good guys win great war stuff i love the war and empire and you know they had that boring cave stuff uh da, da, da. i love the snow scene like you know, a lot of that kind of is at play, but then it, you start to grow up, it becomes your favorite one. Not for everyone. Mark Ellis out there will tell you uh, Jedi's the best because we win. That's the point. Point of the whole story in his mind. So that's not necessarily a wrong perspective. I just think as as you start to peel back the layers and you get a little older for our generation, you just start to see, oh, that's what was there. Taika Waititi talked about it in the Mandalorian episode of like, oh, I missed everything going on in that Dagobah scene. So I think it's that's part of it. But then now we talked about a little bit in the, in, in the reviews, part of the legacy, the change up. And then the depth, and I think, hear me out here, I think, again, I'm speaking mostly maybe to our generation of Star Wars fans, I think you started to feel as you grew up, because Star Wars, you're supposed to grow up with Star Wars, right? You're a kid looking out at the twin sons of, of your own life. I think liking and understanding Empire makes you feel adult in the mm -hmm. best way possible, and I think that's why we start to connect to it. Again, shot well, this and that directed it. might be uh, my favorite directed of the of the first uh, um, of the first six. And quite frankly, I might still say it might be my favorite directed of all, you know? Um, yeah, so I think that I'll start with there. It starts to make you feel like a real adult. I think that's a really, really good way to put it and a really uh, good way to look at it of it, it makes you feel like it challenges you. Um, and I, I think that is for both kids uh, experiencing it and growing with it. And I think kind of even looking at back on it a little bit more critically and in its place as uh, the second chapter of Star Wars, uh, not counting Splinter of the Mind's Eye and a bunch of comic books, but True. the second big movie chapter. Um, I think it's got a lot of inventive imagery. In contrast to some of the reviewers, there wasn't another space battle. There was the Hoth battle, right? Mm. And mm -hmm. That image is just striking. That image of the AT-ATs and the snowspeeders and the uh, you, the snowspeeder whipping around with the cable. That's just striking imagery. Mm -hmm. The asteroid field is striking imagery. The oh, what it, it, that was a a slug and a ship, uh, you know, flying through teeth. Uh, the very dreamlike quality of Dagobah, which is absolutely just plain shouted out in the film. The strange vision of Cloud City and and how just powerful and bold the colors of Cloud City are. There's all this inventive imagery and yeah, you could trace, trace everything back down to some other idea in science fiction or fantasy or genre. But it, it to me just on screen is striking and unique and absolutely not repeating uh, a new hope. I think there's also um, 
the storytelling. I was alluding to this a little, a little bit before. Star Wars, you can read some gray area for sure if you want to dig down into the plot. Absolutely. And we've talked about it a lot of the, you know, the morality of blowing up the Death Star, all that. But it's presented mostly as Darth Vader's the baddest guy, mean, mean, wears black armor and Luke Skywalker's dashing and hopeful. And this film is all about questioning, is there that much of a divide between the black and the white? And, and we'll we'll talk about that, the, the dark and the light. But obviously just the straightforward revelation that Vader is Luke's father mm. is huge and hard to miss. But the middle of the film, if you pay any attention to it is setting up the possibility that Luke, our hero could fall to the dark side, mm. that he could give into impatience and fear and that the dark side isn't just something that he has to go kick its ass. Mm. It's something internal to himself. The second film immediately changes yes star wars is about good and evil but it is saying that that is an internal battle as well as an external battle and you know we're going to talk a lot about the themes but but i feel like there's a lot to build that up mm -hmm. uh and my, my my final big picture thing of i think why it is often considered the best is i think in some ways it is the most successful star wars film at just making you feel mm -hmm. uh it is incredibly soulful I think Return of the Jedi makes you feel uh, like our friend Mark Ellis says, the hooray, we won. And we've mm -hmm. talked about the Luke flipping up from the pit of a carcoon and catching his lightsaber. It definitely makes you feel. What Empire Strikes Back does at in the beginning, if you really watch the first act, there's all of these long, lingering shots that are just full of soul mm -hmm. that remind you again and again that Han, Luke, Leia... Even Chewie and the droids love each other and they are in desperate fear of losing one another. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you just watch it and it just flows over you and you don't really look at it in, unless you try to start breaking it down. But the way that the camera lingers on Leia when they have to shut the door and, mm -hmm. and Chewie's roar and Luke and Han partying right before the Battle of Hoth and neither of them being able to figure out what to say to one another. And even after they figure out the kind of clumsy, just, you know, be careful uh, out there. Mm -hmm. There's one more shot of Han just staring with dread in his heart mm. of that. Something's going to happen to his friend. I feel like this movie just starts with nothing but soul. And it goes all the way through to, I love you. I know it goes all the way through to Mark Hamill's, beautiful delivery on Ben. Why didn't you tell me this film is just, it's aching and it's soulful in the way it's shot in the way it's acted. Wow. That's, that's some powerful stuff because uh, I was rewatching this film this morning uh, before we recorded and, and I was uh, uh, particularly moved by the little small moment and you're in your mention, a bunch of them that jump out of me, but that this small moment of Chewie's captured, uh, he has the parts of 3PO, the, he's in that cell, it's, 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 the alarm is sounding, he's upset, and then when he picks up 3PO, it isn't just that, well, I'm bored, what do I do here? It's, there's some, like, care and, 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 and tenderness in him grabbing 3PO's head to put him back together. And I, there's some sweetness I was really, and it's well played by Peter Mayhew, man. It's so good, and, and there's that connection. You feel it. You feel it, and especially coming off of this this rah 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 movie, where yep, but you you got the, everyone's meeting, they're connected. It was sad when Ben died, and Han came back. Yeah, you know, great, yay, we all cheered. Like now you're building on that, 
and time has passed and everything again you talk about the acting this this is one of the best acted star wars films without a doubt again going with why it might be one of the most uh, best directed and i'm feeling what you're saying uh it, it it is it is the connection the loss the fear what drives luke you know because gosh why wouldn't you why wouldn't you, you your friends are hurt you got to go and, and, and it's all there souls the soul of star wars is on display well said Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I think what's what's elegant about it is you can absolutely pick that up in the text and in the mm-hmm. events. But that's, I think, one of the things that makes it feel different, even when we can't articulate it, because we, as humans, you, you don't need anyone to explain why a friend would stare with mm-hmm. sadness and, and fear as their friend leaves for war. You just feel it in your gut, even with your kid. Mm. Mm. Uh so we talked about a lot and we're going to talk about more, but do you have a favorite specific scene or moment that you want to highlight as we uh, oh, plunge down man. into the depths of Empire Strikes Back? Man, what do you got? What time do you got? Um, <laughs> look, I, I love, I love, uh, um, Hoth Leia has always been my favorite. Leia, I love the get your transport scene. It says so much about her, especially coming out of Star Wars, where she is a great character and she is uh, the princess who needed rescuing, but also rescued herself and, She's got all those things, but at the end of the battle, uh, you know, this isn't. A, I'm not lobbing a big criticism at the movie, but I, I get it. I get it. But at the, you know, and Yavin, she's just there. She's there. She's part of the planning, so I'm not taking any anything away from her. But I think you all know what I mean. She's there. She's watching. She's reacting. She's not flying the ships. Her and three PO are just kind of there. In this movie, she is not leaving. She is a leader at the forefront of the battle. She is going to make sure you get out first. And when Han comes and gets her, it's kind of, she got no time for Han. She ain't, ain't, ain't nobody got time for you, Han. You wanted to run. Get out of here. I got to fight. And I love that moment. It's some of my favorite Leia stuff. Um, I love the Hoth battle. Uh, I was drawn to it as a kid. I'm mesmerized by the walkers. I've talked often about the moment I was scared by uh, the uh, character's name is what Trey Callum, Bob, Anderson plays him, the the who's the sword fighting double for Vader, and and uh, has a long career is doing that. Uh, looking through the uh, through the uh, binocular there at uh, the stomping foot of the Walker, and how I get still kind of if I'm in the story and I'm really watching the movie and I'm not looking at my phone or making a sandwich or something, you know, and I'm watching <laughs> Empire, that moment will still give me those kind of nerd chills of fear of the stomping oppression of the Empire, the metallic foot coming towards you, and you've got to stay there and fight, and it just it thrills me in this terror. I'm terrified for those rebel soldiers, so I really love that sequence. Uh, lightsaber fight, a lot of other things there um, as well, um, but those, those ones jump out. Those are all great, yeah, and I think that stomp of the foot is uh, the the AT-AT or the AT-AT, depending on how you want to do it. Uh, it's got such power because I love that this is the story of Empire. There was never a like, um, yeah, let's kick their ass. It was like, the Empire's found us, we got to go. And that foot yeah. is like a part of that, of like, it's coming to stomp on you, and the only goal is to hold it back for a few minutes, mm. and that's what those rebels are out there doing, you know? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, for my for my favorite scene or moment, uh, I would say the uh, the entire film, uh, <laughs> even though it's three minutes longer yeah. uh, than A New Hope. Yeah, I, it, it's it is very hard for me to um, pick a favorite, but the thing that I've been really gravitating toward is the first scene of Luke and Yoda fully training. Um, a lot of Yoda's more famous lines of "That is why you fail," uh, "Do or do not." There is no try. Uh, Always with you, it cannot be done. Uh, all coming a little bit later. Uh, but this early scenes, I keep going back to lately because they're really Yoda still being philosophical, but just giving kind of a practical 
101 guide to the force that mm-hmm. the dark side is not more powerful. Uh, it is quicker, easier, more seductive, you know, quick to join you in a fight, uh, that you'll know the difference between the dark and the light when you're uh, calm, at peace, passive. That one little word passive is mm. easy to ignore. Yeah. But that is that word passive is key to unlocking a huge amount of storytelling about the Jedi and about the idea of the light side of knowledge and defense of we only ignite our blade when somebody else's blade is swinging down on mm. someone who, who is not naturally meant to die right now. That's all. That's the only time. And there's just so much in that scene. It leads, you know, right into the, the uh, Luke uh, mm. experiencing his vision in the tree cave. And it's got the line that you and I have both been focusing on a lot lately of what's in there, only what you take with you. There's so much. And just, it, it is not uh, to me, just sort of platitudes you could find anywhere. I know everything in the forest is built up on many different real life, uh, religious and philosophical ideas, but in terms of what the force is, the, what's the difference between the light and the dark and why it matters is in that scene. You're talking so much stuff of that, that could be overlooked. The passive thing. You're so right. And as a kid, I'm overlooking it as absolutely go, go kick his ass, go kick his ass. Uh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you, you uh, ties directly to Jedi and the throwing down of the lightsaber and it's, and it's all there. It's all there at the cave. Yeah. So much great and, stuff. And is there any scene now that, uh, we're, uh, older mm-hmm. and maybe wiser. Is there any scene, character, moment, idea in empire that you dislike question struggle with? This is, um, uh, no, no overall like this because because it, it you know if we're talking even my beloved last Jedi I can take you I can take to some moments I don't like even uh, I so love Rise of Skywalker it's in my heart right now there's some things uh, here and there I could list some things right and Jedi too um, this one flows so well every scene works and hits for me but I've always like I've always put it out it's it's not just it, you know the Exegorth the space slug is. Part, it fits. It's sci-fi, man. It is. It is Lucas paying some homage. I love that in Rise of Skywalker. They're on that planet where they have like another, you know, the big monster there that they might fly into on, when they're light, uh, hyper uh, light light speed skipping. So yeah. it's Star Wars. Like, so don't get me wrong. It is Star Wars. But I, for myself, even as a kid, was always like, it's it doesn't look good. It's a puppet. It's it. It took me out and like and and that kind of and that's me being seven, eight, nine, going uh. And then I'm always like, those teeth seem to be closing. I'm like doing Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, on the on the teeth. <laughs> they look to be closing faster. How cl- is it? Is it? Is it waking up? Like, and I always get lost in that. So therefore, it's still not my favorite sequence in the film. But there's so many important things said in that Exogorth uh, uh, environment by the characters between Han and Leia. Some of their most important moments, I think, uh, happen there. So uh, and some great three PO stuff. So that's been forgotten. But growing up, that was one of my least favorite sequences. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, and there's little technical things. And I know people have made, you know, uh, high def movies to, to try to like make sure that Luke's uh, lightsaber does actually deignite mm. uh, when the sound goes off and he's leaving the cave. And like, you know, yeah, for me, those are not uh, not things that I I personally care about a lot as a viewer. I know other people yeah. do and I respect that. Uh, there's there's nothing in this film that I dislike. Every time I try to run down a criticism, and I'm mm. like you too, love Rise of Skywalker, I have a list of criticisms. Mm. Same with every every single other Star Wars film. Uh, when I think of what 
I would want different or could critique in Empire Strikes Back. It's always just I would have liked more, mm. you know. And and then there's that question of can the film even bear it? I think the only thing I can right. come close to a criticism is I feel like uh, Leia. In some ways, this is Leia's most powerful movie in that she she has a concrete arc. In, in many other right. movies, she's just uh, the resolute one who learns new information, goes through trauma, but just says, great, I can take it, and keeps going. Right. This is the film where she starts with one perspective of, I cannot love Han Solo. I cannot admit to myself that there's even a possibility he's not the right person to me. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the film, she has gone, gone through this change and can admit it to herself. Uh, so in some ways, it's Leia's, from a character arc perspective, in my opinion, her most active film. Mm-hmm. Uh but there's a part of me is like, well, I, I could there have been even more because there are definitely moments along the path where she gets closer to Han and a moment where she can finally let herself say the truth and shouts, I love you, which is why it's so powerful. Mm. But like, yeah, that's the closest I can get to a criticism of like, hey, could we had a couple more beats with Leia coming to terms with herself of uh, why mm. she needs a scoundrel? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because he's but nice. that's uh, Yeah. <laughs> That's no. not that's not that great of a of a criticism. I tried, everybody. I tried to criticize yeah. Empire Strikes Back. Uh, just a couple more things, then we're going to dive into what we think are the actual big themes that we like discussing here on Force Center. Uh, so I got a thesis for you, Ken, and yeah. please let me know if you think I'm full of hooey. Mm. I think Luke in Empire Strikes Back has a lot of connection to Luke in The Last Jedi in terms of just his essential character that he has this grumpiness and sarcasm and impatience and frustration in him. What do you think of that? Oh, man, I think you're so off base. It's just horrible. There's no <laughs> connections. Those movies aren't canon. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll listen. I'll hear you out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, so I, mm. I, I think that the struggle with with Last Jedi, Luke, and, and again, I respect people who disagree, but they think of, how Luke starts in a new hope with like, you know, I can be a pilot. I can do anything I care. And then where he comes after his journey in return of the Jedi of like, I'm a master. I am, you know, I am a badass at combat and I am also a master of my own soul and my own destiny. And I think sometimes that we can ignore in between that he's overcome some of these parts of his personality that are grumpy and sarcastic. Uh, but I feel like, the part of Luke that said, oh, you're making a mess to Yoda never mm. went away. He didn't defeat that. Yeah. That's a part of his character. And after he goes through great trauma, that part of his character is bubbling to the surface, a little bit of that grump and sarcasm. And uh, for me, mm. it makes me enjoy the two films and, and that side of Luke more. I, I, well, yeah, that's a really, sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking because Luke in return of the Jedi is is um there's so much weight on him there's this 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 revelation that's hanging over his head and and a big mission so i get it i get it but you know he, he not, to me not a lot of smiling laughter yeah he's uh, you know i'm with you too he's got some good moments but you know he until he completes the mission until he's dancing with ewoks and staring off at the ghosts there's not a lot of joy in him um and knew a little different but empire it's it's he's a little more well-rounded i like what you're saying and he's frustrated and he's scared he's scared i'm on a planet i don't want to get out of this my ship's underwater so to see uh that connect with last jedi luke has a lot of personality mark hamill puts a lot of you know the shoulder uh, uh you know uh, the brushing of the shoulder a lot of those things it's it's a it's a full personality luke it's not dour space wizard luke and i like that 
Yeah, it's not Dower Space Wizard. It's not just Optimistic Farm Boy. It is both of those things combined with uh, grumpy, sarcastic Luke who's like, why did I come here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's dumb. Uh, all right. So we're going to dive in. Uh, I had another question there, but we'll save it for another time because we are going to have plenty to talk about. I want to dive in, Ken, to mm. the big themes. What I think Empire Strikes Back is really about mm. and get your thoughts and opinions uh, you have any anything that you want to share uh, before we dive in? Uh, no, sir. Ready to dive into this one here. Uh, I uh, again, like I said, rewatched this uh, with these notes in mind, and it's just like, yep, yep, love it. Let's discuss it. Okay, cool. So um, I'm going to dive in. I think for me, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but for just kind of simple ideas that we can hold, I think Empire Strikes Back has three major themes. One is identity. The other is attachment and the last is defeat. So starting with identity, uh, I would describe that what is at stake for a lot of the characters and some not characters <laughs> is who are people who, who not not in general, who are people, but each individual, who are they really underneath the surface and underneath what they are telling themselves and sometimes just literally oh, we actually thought this person was one thing, but they are another. Uh -huh. So just to run down all the examples of where this happens, and then we'll dive in. Mm -hmm. We have the fundamental question right at the beginning of, is Han, you know, a good leader, or is he a scoundrel who has to go pay off a debt? Uh, can Leia admit her feelings? Is she a committee? Is she somebody who is in charge of the rebellion? Or is she somebody who could fall in love and allow herself this? Um, opening up of her emotions to this uh, really different person in her life. Uh, it A lot of the film hinges pretty explicitly on is Luke an impatient warrior who is learning how to kick ass or is he a caring, sensitive, uh, patient friend who can learn to be noble and sacrifice and do all of these uh, things that a Jedi must do? There's a question of who is Luke's father, which, again, if you truly try to watch this movie, remembering that people didn't know that mm. and Luke's going around going, you know, just saying, why did you want to be a, fa uh, a Jedi? Like, oh, I guess because my father <laughs> don't know who that is. We really don't. Yeah. Uh, this idea is extended toward Vader when we get to literally see under the helmet. And, you know, I think there's mm. probably even confusion about like Vader's a he's a robot. Right. And yeah. then. You see that moment of that scarred flesh, and not only does it tell you, oh, there, oh, he's not like a full cyborg. What's going on? Who is the guy under the mask? It's, it's a literal invitation. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the another explicit thing is, is Yoda uh, a weird sidekick, or is he a Jedi Master? You have that entire uh, mistaken identity. I would say the Force itself is under examination for what is it, because mm -hmm. Obi-Wan told us some stuff in A New Hope, and we get that there's a light and a dark, but Luke's whole journey is to try to understand more what the true nature of the force is. That's where we get uh, Yoda's speech about a life makes it, it surrounds us. It, it, similar to some stuff that Obi-Wan said, but going into more depth of what it truly is. Uh, another explicit example is Lando. Is he a friend or an enemy? That's Or a system. Uh, that's really just at stake of who is he? Can he be trusted? We also meet the emperor and we don't really know who he is or whether we can trust him. Uh, I, I would imagine we, the audience can't, but whether Vader can in their back and forth, we get the question thrown out of Luke's our only hope. No, there is another. So that is yet another point of uh, confused identity, mysterious identity. We don't know who that is. 
this even goes to our exegorth that we were just talking about. <laughs> uh, that's how deep the ideas of identity go, where it's, is this a cave or a space slug? Mm. So you're left with this just constant feeling throughout the film, even if you're not analyzing this, of doubt and fear of who am I really and who am I dealing with? Because I never know who I'm dealing with, whether it's a slug, uh, Yoda, Lando, the nature of the force itself. I don't know who I'm dealing with. Yeah. End of rant. Mm, no, that's not a rant. That's great. Um, I was thinking of like when that first hits. And and again, sometimes when you watch this movie now and years of watching Star Wars and a lot of things you've learned and knowing where the story goes, I'm just trying to go back to some of the early early days, early things, and, and, and why I think I attach to that walker foot coming down. Because, you know, these are good guys. They just blew up the station. They got a medal. At least some of the, you know, two two of the team did. Um, and here they are on the run. So it's like, am I am I de- am I dealing with the good guys? Because it looks like they just lost. And they're not supposed to lose. So naturally, hey, the end of this film, it's going to be about them winning. No, it's not. And so you go through that journey of just trying to find the identity of, of who you're rooting for. You're just like, uh, it's it's a tough journey for a young youngster uh, to sit there. Uh, and having just experienced them get the big victory, which is again why it's just so simple—a simple, a simple decision to grow all these characters through defeat. Uh, another thing we'll be discussing, but anyway, yeah, I like that one. Right yeah, there. Mm. Does, does the general idea is taking Star Wars as things that you can apply to real life? The general idea of what does it do to you to be in a constant state of slight doubt about both yourself and almost everyone you encounter can you trust them have you had moments like that in your life does the movie make you feel or question how you should proceed when you're in those moments of just you're in the weeds and you don't know how to get out uh yeah uh yes and all sides of it a lot of it i'll focus it on myself here and this is why i think over the years this became my favorite and then also remains my favorite, even even so. Though, look, a lot of the a lot of the movies nip at its heels, but it, it always comes back to this for a lot of big overall reasons too. To be clear, but I um, I love Han Solo. I, I I love Lando. These are two of my favorite characters who I was drawn to. I've I've always told you uh, the war over the lore. Me not following the Jedi as much as as other people did. Uh, I'm less interested in some of the old Republic stuff because I'm like, eh, no, it's about a bunch of Jedis. Not that that's true, <laughs> but that's my perspective. I, I connected to these. So to watch Han and Lando struggle through even this identity uh, crisis that you're, you're this big theme you're talking about, but just on a, the choices they have to make don't have to do with a laser sword. They don't have to do with running off to facing the big bad. They have to be, they're, they're smaller. They're, running away there lando is you know i always call him he, he is he's the trust trustworthy uh scoundrel because he, he's just surviving and i love billy d williams kind of talking about that at celebration last year just like you know for 40 years i've heard man you you turned on your friend i'd do it again because i didn't know him and I, lando's got to survive he's a small business owner now he's got things and also you know he's in a tough spot and again so to so there's right or wrong in what Lando did, but that's part of what this movie make, makes me think. And that is where it connects to real world world stuff. Uh, of, yeah. Am I going to choose to be better here? What do I do? Do I protect myself? I don't know. Again, Han shows up. What, what's one of the first things we learn when they meet? What'd you do to my ship? What? 
the Millennium Falcon that I've, you know, I was, this wasn't, you know, necessarily, I was, again, a little, little young, but if you're a kid who saw New Hope in theaters in 77, and you got the Kenner toy, and you're like, Han Solo's ship, Han Solo's ship, and then Lando's like, it's my ship, and you took it from me. Who's Han? What's going on? So I, 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 I love Lando for that. It makes me think about regular day-to-day situations, business situations, personal situations, and that's what I attach to uh, a, a, a lot with this movie. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I loved the Billy D. Williams response of, did anyone die? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think it goes a lot to another reason that I think that Empire Strikes Back is in some ways the best made film is because of all of these ideas doubled down on one another and you don't necessarily have to analyze them to feel them because they're they're so present in the film that there's no way that you can't just almost subliminally feel them. I started to look through the film for the examples of literalizing claustrophobic or underground spaces, spaces that would physically uh, communicate to us on a more subliminal level, the idea of passing through darkness toward understanding. And you have, you know, the Wampa Cave. You have the, you know, claustrophobic Hoth tunnels, the loop going down into the Dagobah tree, being stuck in the middle of the asteroid field, then in the actual Exegorth's belly, the carbon freezing chamber itself is this dark haunted little space that you can even fall farther down in, uh, on through to inside a Tauntaun. Right. Everything about this film image-wise keeps being sort of inner, 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 Mm. and it starts uh, bright on Hoth, and then in the middle goes down into all of these browns really with Mm. the asteroid field and Dagobah and then comes back up into this light of cloud city as you get a little bit more under the characters kind of pierce through to a little bit more understanding Mm. of who they are and what their choices are. I I love that. Just it's the simple stuff. And look, uh, you know, Lee Brackett starts the script. We know she passes away. Lucas comes in, does a few drafts himself, gets really into it by the way, by all accounts, like, all right, I thought I didn't have time for this. This is easier than the first one. Uh, No star killer adventures of here. Um, But Kazan comes along and this is a a Kazan at his peak. You know, this is coming off of the writer's script, which is a, is a near perfect film for a lot of people. Uh, So everything you're saying is like, it's there. You feel it without even knowing it. You got new hope. You are literally New Hope, a, a, a kid looking out into the twin suns at the at the larger galaxy, and that's the feeling of it. And you connect, and then it expands. Yeah, you're trapped in the Death Star a little bit, and you you go through the trash compactor sequence and everything, but then you're flying. It's big, and and it's the galaxy at large finally uh, coming up to meet you. And for then the next chapter to immediately, like you're saying, feel claustrophobic. That's just basic basic tactics, and it really works because you don't feel it. You just or you don't know it. You just feel it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the last thing that I had to say about this general theme is really how much it strikes me how much Luke wants to be a Jedi because of his father. While he only knows very little about his father, obviously he was not told the truth by uh, by old Uncle Owen. He was told a the truth from a certain point of view by Obi Wan, and he's been on this journey. He's taking this huge risk. He's going away from his friends, who he doesn't want to leave. He's not going back to the rendezvous because mm. he's got to go to Yoda. He's got to be a Jedi because of his father, and that to me is just such. When you really put yourself in Luke's shoes, of what a big choice it is to go to Dagobah, and then he has such doubt and impatience and confusion, and he's thinking, "I want to be a Jedi like my dad. I'll be powerful. I can help my friends. I can save the galaxy." Uh, yeah. And none of it is examined. He hasn't, he's been trying, you know, in larger Star Wars storytelling to learn more about the Force, to learn more about Obi-Wan. But 
that to me is such a powerful reminder of we have external challenges, but we also have internal ones of like, we need to know ourselves to make sure that we're on the right journey. Uh, yeah, that's so powerful. It's so powerful. You know, the, 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 the appeal of the first movie is well documented with all of it with good reason and all of it. Right. But uh, the idea of, uh, yep, let's just go do it, win a medal. And now to have that really extended examination of that. And then you yourself really fully committing and decide, deciding what that means. That's where it starts getting really big and deep despite what critics thought. <laughs> Again, our apologies to Mr. Canby. Uh, moving on to the other big theme. This one, I think, is really ends up resonating so powerfully across all of Star Wars storytelling, but uh, particularly the Skywalker saga. It's a general idea of attachment, uh, but within attachment, there are many examples in Empire Strikes Back of characters acting out of a fear of loss mm -hmm. or characters acting out of what they believe to be noble sacrifice. And I think especially once those ideas, those kind of opposites crystallize in the prequels is, well, if you act out of a fear, a selfish fear of loss, that is dangerous. If you act uh, to save someone out of noble sacrifice, that is good. Those ideas get crystallized, mm -hmm. but they're present in Empire Strikes Back and we're almost invited to ask which is which. Uh, mm. here, here's a, a list of times that characters are acting and we get to ask, is it out of fear or being selfless? Uh, Han goes after Luke on Hoth because his buddy's out there and even though he could die uh, rescuing him, he's got to rescue his buddy. Uh, you were talking about this great scene of Leia not being willing to leave the base uh, because she wants to stay in command and make sure everybody else is taken care of. But then to add on to that, Han's not going to leave on the Falcon without her until mm. Leia is safe. Um, go to the big plot point of the movie that Luke is not willing to even accept the possibility that Han and Leia could die. Yoda even says, you know, maybe you should sacrifice them. Mm. And he is, Luke is not willing to sacrifice Han and Leia. Uh, you have the question of, will Vader destroy Luke? He said specifically to the Emperor, he will join us or die. But then there's that question hanging over why isn't Vader following through in some way. Yeah. Uh, we get the sort of um, the acceptance, uh, a little bit of that uh, letting go where Han does not want to fight being frozen. He really wants Chewie to focus on protect Leia. Uh, in terms of attachment, uh, 3PO literally coming apart, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think is kind of a comment on attachment of that fear of literally everything will fall apart. And uh, the last big thing is Luke reaching out to Leia that's really about attachment. Uh, he was told specifically by Obi-Wan, I can't help you. He starts by calling out for Ben and then I think realizes he's in order to survive, he has to have a different ask and it's this attachment with Leia and the way we see them connected in the force visually for the first time. Uh, so those are a lot of thoughts about loss and sacrifice and attachment. How are you feeling as a Star Wars fan, as a student of this big storytelling and themes, what do you think Empire Strikes Back has to say about attachment, about whether it's uh, a gift or a curse? Ooh, because uh, if you start going case by case, I, I love how you say how it's, it's how you approach it. Um, uh, Luke, Luke doesn't, Luke doesn't know. You know, he can't trust that they're going to be all right, especially when Yoda's saying, yeah, no sacrifice. Um, but everything he's done is out of a fear, uh, out, out of fear of losing them. And look what that causes, you know? 
Um, look at uh, the pain it causes himself. Look at the loss it causes himself. So would so that's a big what if to me. If he stays uh, and uh, learns a little bit more and goes off when it's the right time, like what does that look like to me? Is it truly better? I don't know. It might be safer. Can't say for sure. Is, is uh, Han still going to be frozen? Probably. Is, is Leia still going to be uh, trapped or, or now taken with the with Vader? Eh, probably. But Luke would be around. He doesn't have to go to Jabba's palace now. I don't know. So that's the big question for me. Uh, I go for that that scene uh, of what it's telling me there. But then I go I go to Han's scene. I love that you just said like Han just kind of like uh, if I fight it if I'm if I'm too afraid to let go Leia could be hurt more and Chewie can protect her. There's, there's some great, uh, powerful, um, ch- a powerful choice there. A little bit of resignation of just like, uh, it's no longer my time to fight. I have to let her go in order for her to be safe. Part of what, why that scene works for me. Just case by case for me. I'm not sure. Yeah. And no, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I, I, I really like watching it from this perspective because uh, there are moments just become electric. Like, Especially early on when Han just like, no, of course I'm going to rescue Luke no matter what. Yeah. Um, and that seems like noble sacrifice of like, yeah, my friend's out in it. Right. Of we're, he, we, are, we are in this together, him and me and Leia. And if you look at Leia's sort of, it, it's not a fear of actually losing Han to violence. What's motivating their relationship is her fear of losing him. Right. You know, it, it tracks all the way through to Cloud City when she says, you know, and then you're as good as gone, aren't you? And in a way, it's it's her fear of of losing him that motivates her to finally break down and admit, mm. "I love you." Uh, and with Han, there's a little bit of you know how much has he been running from being captured? And and yeah. he, you know you, we even have the the conversation in Empire about you know I I would like to be there when you make a mistake. You know, like well, you, well, you might be, and you yeah. get to that point where he does feel like the guy who can always pull a crazy trick and he's always good and like nope the the stakes are real it catches up with you so there's power there Mm. i feel like in terms of the big attachment question what i really like about empire and how it sits in the whole star wars story the skywalker saga in particular is it feels like yoda and obi-wan are still uh afraid of attachment Mm. or if not afraid they feel like they've had the experience where we were concerned about Anakin not being able to manage these attachments. Things crumbled the way we expected. He lost people right. and he retaliated. And that is a danger. And they're trying to educate Luke. Don't mm. do that. You're just being manipulated by Vader. Mm. He is just torturing your friends. So you <laughs> will come running. Yeah, You will see them in pain. And either he will break you with that pain and you will fall to the dark side or because Obi-Wan doesn't believe in the love between mm. the possible love between Anakin and Luke, because he doesn't think Anakin exists anymore, or he'll just kill you and you'll just be lured to your death. So I feel like from Yoda and Obi-Wan, they understandably have this horrific oh, yeah. trauma and to them. Attachment is still just a risk. And Luke's just fallen into the exact same trap that his dad did. Yeah. But what Luke is actually experiencing and why I think those, that first act being so soulful about the love between the main characters and the fear of losing one another is because what, what Luke experiences in the film is, eh, I rushed off playing hero and I didn't help them. I, I maybe made things worse. And what, what, what did I experience in the movie though? Luke experiences Han's selfless 
coming to rescue him again and again. Right. He experiences Leia's selfless turning around and rescuing him. Mm. He experiences this strange connection with Vader where Vader doesn't kill him and, you know, kind of lets him escape. One could argue, I think that one's up for debate, but in, yeah. in my mind, it's like he lets him uh, have option C instead of join me or die. <laughs> yeah. And so Luke discovers all of these moments where attachment could be a strength, where it could be that loving someone and sacrificing for them could be a path to victory rather than just a step towards being manipulated by the dark side. And it's what I think Yoda and Obi-Wan can't see yet in what Luke triumphs on in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, leading to the final moments of Vader, right? Uh, that's where, yeah, not letting go helps. Yeah, it's almost as if um, I'm listening to your talk here, and I'm like, does Qui-Gon pop up and be like, uh, "Oh, yo, Yoda, Obi-Wan, l- l- you're wrong." <laughs> yeah, like, let me <laughs> give him some rope. Yeah, give, give him some rope to to go against kind of the stuff. But, but I love, but I love that. I love that those characters, they're the mentor characters. They're the gurus, as the critics would say. There, but uh, I love that. It's still from their perspective. It's still from their agenda, and it still could be wrong, or it's not final. Even you know, it's almost you want to throw it back in Yoda's face. Well, you don't, you don't know. You, you said you don't know. Always in motion is the future. So I'm going to take this risk because I love you know the the, the Hans. I'll see you in hell. Like I, that's that's such a great moment, and it's such a such a Han moment. He's always what's what's he what's he do? He always goes back. To help those that need it. He always mm-hmm. does. He always does. And so it's such a, a through line of his character. It's a powerful one for for, for, for Luke to do that. It, yeah. Uh, I like that he's getting outside the headspace and maybe taking that risk. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that Yoda and Obi-Wan are, they're traumatized and they're maybe not uh, entirely right, but they're also not entirely wrong because I think Luke does have it in his head of like, great, almost this video game. Like I listened to some of those lessons Yoda said, I think I got him. I think I got some of the things he said. I've learned so much since the cave, Uh, but it almost feels like he feels like he's leveled up Mm -hmm. and he can beat Vader and therefore save his friends. And I feel like part of what Yoda and Obi-Wan is saying is they're still right of like, you don't realize the emotional stakes. That's, this is not just the battle that you think it is. It's not right. black and white, good guy versus hero, light versus dark, which you is, don't quite understand. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, when Luke in Return of the Jedi says to Yoda, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's what he gets now. Uh, yeah. And I love that you said that the emotional stakes and everything and, and, and versus um, uh, the, the victories. Yeah. Because, again, what does that do? What is that? That ties directly to his last Jedi stuff. Uh, and And the same kind of dynamic where... Ray has a little bit of the hey teacher you're you you might be wrong about this and 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 I got a good point that's valid and he's like that, that's true but also you're not seeing the emotional picture you're not seeing the big picture it, 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 it's that Star Wars poetry but uh, there it is another connection between those movies yeah absolutely um, moving on to the uh, final theme idea so loss and defeat just in general uh, this is a little less deep and emotional and it's more just looking at exactly what happens in the film, which is this is a film where everyone gets their ass kicked physically, emotionally, I would argue structurally, financially, when it comes to the rebellion, having to leave Echo Base and all that equipment behind. Uh, Boba Fett in Jabba the Hutt, who is not even actually on screen, they are the only actual situational victors 
who right. get something that they want on a practical plot level. Um, that's true. Vader doesn't get what he wants out of his encounter with Luke. He doesn't uh, manage to turn him. Uh, things are worse from Yoda and Obi-Wan's perspective, at least initially, that uh, they're afraid that Luke has, has maybe been impatient and opened himself up to the threat of the dark side. Uh, the state of the war is unchanged, except for things are worse for the rebellion because they don't have a base anymore. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that all of the victories are emotional. Uh, Leia and Han break through their perspectives and can admit their love. Uh, We learn that Luke and Leia's connection is even deeper than we thought. Uh, Luke obviously does grow and learn in the Force, uh, and he has the knowledge now that Vader is his father. He develops this attachment to Yoda. Uh, Lando gets uh, through his uh, darkness in the tunnel and makes a different choice, as you you talked about so eloquently, Ken. So there are all these great emotional victories where characters learn things. A few of them are able to apply them in this film, but for the most part, they apply them going forward. Mm. But beyond the emotional, this is a film about Everybody except for Boba Fett losing. <laughs> Star Wars Episode Five. Boba Fett wins. <laughs> Look, man, the greatest teacher failure is right. And Yoda lost in Revenge of the Sith, and this is the stuff he knows. And now I love that you said the victories are emotional, and the story's not done. So they're going to take those growth points and move forward with them uh, on all fronts, all of them. And I'm thinking a lot of. You know, Han finally joined the joining the rebellion as a general in in Return of the Jedi. Uh, Luke and all the big lessons there. Uh, so those are the victories. But also, I was I was thinking it. I was thinking today when watching it again, trying to put myself back in time. You're coming off of New Hope, the feel good hit of the summer and the decade. And here's the next one. Things are going bad. All right, I get it. We got it. Lando's here. Oh, is he good? Is he bad? I don't know. And then when they say, when that moment, when that Imperial officer goes up to Vader and is like, uh, you know, uh, X-Wing approaching or, or, or ship rebel ship approaching X-Wing class and, and Vader's like, Skywalker's here. And everyone has that look like, ooh, Skywalker's here. Why wouldn't you in the theater be thinking, and he going to kick your ass, Vader? Because, <laughs> and he's going to get another medal. He's, it's going to be two medal Luke now. And for it not to go that way, that's part of the legacy of this film, part of the shock, but part of the growth and how it's key and how, and the lesson being of, of the part of the original trilogy, many lessons, but pair this one with turn the Jedi about the lessons of how you grow past failure and loss and why it's still important, even though we don't want to experience them, how it's important to, to go through them sometimes. Uh, I, I love all that there, man. So yes, defeat, defeat is a powerful, powerful lesson. Yeah. And for me personally, I think just really diving down to my personal relationship with this film and not necessarily when I was a kid, because, you know, I got to see it on my birthday on August 17th. And then I got to see it again on my brother's birthday on November 2nd. And then I don't think I saw it again until whenever it aired on television. So it lived in my imagination, in my toys, in my tops cards, in my books, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, It was when I could have it on VHS as a teen and frankly, Mm -hmm. a young adult where I just watched it again and again. And I think Empire resonated with me because these are my heroes. I knew they were going to win, but they got to go through pain. And it made me feel less alone Mm. when I was in pain. It made me feel like it was okay that everybody gets knocked down. And I think there are probably times in my life where I couldn't have uh, verbalized that. Mm. But there was something cathartic Mm. about 
uh, especially since I connected to Luke a lot, those scenes at the end on the uh, on the Falcon mm. when he's beat up, he's so confused. Leia's there for him, and she's trying to help him, but they're still in danger, and he's just crying out, "Why didn't you tell me?" Mm. And it made me feel better about the emotional pain that I was in to see that my hero could go through that and be in that moment of physical pain and doubt, but still have this glimmer of hope for moving forward. Mm, powerful, powerful stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, great. Connecting again, connecting with the whole story. And yeah, you're watching this in 80. You don't have that benefit yet. I, I, I get it. And, and this kind of was something new. Like you said earlier, James Bonds didn't build on each other until what, quite frankly, the Daniel Craig stuff. You're more of an expert on that than I am for sure. Um, so it's so somewhere you. So this was brand new. This was part of uh, uh, the legacy of the film now. Um, but that's powerful. And when you put it all together, uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it is comforting. It is yeah. comforting. Mm. Any final thoughts from you on, uh, well, two questions I want to ask you for, for two mm. final questions. Um, first, what do you think Empire brought to the Star Wars saga? I mean, we kind of broke down the film and talked through a lot of its ideas, but what do you think it changed about the Star Wars saga. I always go, and especially when we talk about Yoda and Lando, I think the two key things in terms of just characters, it's, it's still it's still amazing to me when you go back and think they put the entire, bet the entire success of this movie on a, on a puppet. And look, you're working, this is in the era of Muppets at their peak with Henson and Oz and it, so there's no doubt I'm sure everyone, you know, like, hey, it's a pretty good bet. But really, and George talks about that Empire Dreams. And just like, if this doesn't work, it all comes crumbling down. So I love that. But what it, what it always what that always meant to, to me, I talked about the Lando moment. Uh, what are you doing with my ship? You got a new character, but suddenly everything is bigger. Everything is, is, is wild. Uh, Empire, to me, when I watch it, even today, even though it's still only, much like New Hope, only a few different locations, right? Hoth, Bespin. Dagobah, some Star Destroyers, a space slug. It's still only a handful. It seems so much bigger and wider and lived in, right? Cloud right. City is lived in. And I, I still think this is what sets Empire apart from a lot of them. It just it introduced these big struggling themes in an era where we weren't used to that yet in terms of the story going on. Um, but it made the galaxy so much bigger lived in. And then I think the big thing what it sets it, sets it apart is it creates, and it still creates, so many questions that you want to go seek those answers to, all the way back to Harrison Ford's point of just like, you know, it's not just, it's, it is about setting up the next chapter that we all know is coming now in episode four, uh, six. But you have so many questions coming out of this, including the ones you're raising here of, well, was Yoda right? Was Obi-Wan right? Who is another? Everything. And not just on the surface canon level. But just on an emotional level, there's so many questions out of this film that you keep coming back to it, I think, to seek those answers in Star Wars. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I so agree with you. Uh, I was going to say expanded the palette uh, for on one level of Yoda. And your point of Lando is so great. Imagine, you know, if you were an older kid and, and you had a Falcon, uh, you know, uh, uh, that went along with your three and three quarter figures and you're flying that around for three years, not mm. fully three years because the action figures took a while to come out. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? You flew that Falcon around for a long time and you thought you knew that you stared at that toy. And then suddenly one line from Lando and like, there's a lot more about that ship than you ever imagined. Uh, go, go to the bounty hunters. Just We talked about them a lot uh, recently, but they're just standing there. Boba Fett doesn't do anything too cool. He sits or he stands. He says a few lines. 
He, you know, raises his blaster once and is told to put it down. He shoots at Luke. Great. Mm. But just that little bit, it, it fires your imagination. So I think if ever expanding the palette of Star Wars is great. And then for me, the other thing I would say is it forever took the battle of good and evil from being just an external thing to also an internal story. And there are hints of that in A New Hope, but this is what absolutely solidified it is. This is not just about the hero defeating the bad guy. This is about the hero getting to know themselves and, and defeat the darker side of themselves as well. Mm, wonderful. And and, and, the, and the fun that George had doing that and, and Kasdan and Lee Brackett, even in the early drafts, all that stuff, you know, man versus man, man, man versus machine, man versus self. Let's dive into all of it in this film. Yeah, yeah, and it's big and mythic, but it still comes off is a, an absolute fun adventure serial. Yep. Uh, maybe a little bit too much of a fun adventure serial for some of the critics back in the day. <laughs> Ken, my final question for you, I, I went on a little bit about kind of the personal legacy for me of this film. I know that mm-hmm. you saw Jedi first, mm-hmm. and you've had a, a path with Empire, but for you, what is the personal legacy of Empire? How has it changed or affected you? What, what's most important about it to you as a human being? Um, it, it, for me is it makes every one of these characters I, I love growing up in the original trilogy. It is the one that makes them the most real and tangible. And I feel this is where I go where it's the best acted of them. And then there's some good stuff in Return of the Jedi, but I always even, uh, I'm, I'm joking, but not joking. Harrison Ford's kind of sleepwalking a little bit in that movie, uh, a little bit different, play different. Luke is very somber. This one the scenes, the dialogue, it, it, it pop. And, you know, coming off of New Hope, which was a different feel, different time, different approach, uh, farm boy kid, the princess, and it's all there. The big three are in place, and, and, and New Hope's great. But this, this, is, this is the, the genius choice of bringing in Kirshner, a director not known for some big block, but he didn't do Jaws 2 at the time, right? He didn't do uh, you know, Star Trek. He did, he, he did these character pieces, um, and, and, and that is also what I go back to a lot. And it's the standard for all Star Wars movies going forward. And which why I love the stuff with Ray and Kyla, what Adam Driver brings and what Daisy Ridley brings and Oscar Isaac and everything going to Alden Ehrenreich and Solo. I, I think there's so much of Empire Han in 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 Ehrenreich's performance. And it's 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 this it's just it's real. It's real and it feels so real. And as space slugs and wampas and tauntauns are all great, but when I go to Han and Leia and her fear, and then you'll be gone, and all those kind of moments, the stuff you talked about, the loss, Han and Luke not quite knowing how to say goodbye, all those things are so real, and that's part of the legacy to me. That is great. Uh, I officially have nothing more to say about Empire Strikes Back for right now, uh, because I know this is getting to be a long episode, but thanks for letting me really dive in and uh, try to look at uh, this movie that has meant so much to me for so long in a different way. Hey, this is what we love doing here. We love going deep. We love taking uh, long looks at these things. So I appreciate you, uh, Joseph, for for diving in deep here and uh, and the listeners uh, for letting us continue to do this. This is why we want to look back on this movie 40 years who would have thunk it that George's little space fantasies would be talked about with this much fervor and passion and excitement so many decades later. Uh, We're going to go to our Power of the Light Side segment. This is fueled by you on Patreon, and this uh, week's comes from Jared Kozal. Kozal, Kozal, I added added some 
infamous. I put my, my like an Italian, a Cozola here, Jared. <laughs> Jared writes this. My favorite Star Wars quote doesn't come from the movies themselves. It comes from the rise of, uh, oh, uh, yeah, Rise of Skywalker. No, Re- ta- Revenge of the <laughs> <laughs> Let me start it gets over. You. It gets you so, every time. It made me think his memory right after, especially when people were doing snark tweets about the rise of Skywalker, they were getting it wrong. <laughs> they were yeah. putting RT versus uh, TR. <laughs> so Jared writes this. My favorite Star Wars, Star Wars quote doesn't come from the movies itself. It comes from the Revenge of the Sith novelization by Matthew Stover. The postscript that concludes the story. It's, here's the postscript. The dark is generous, and it is patient, and it always wins. But in the heart of its strength lies weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars. That's great, Jared. I've been captivated by that passage ever since I first read it, Jared writes. I think it is beautifully written and speaks to the central essence of this entire story, which is that with hope, love, and those you share them with, anyone can defy evil. But with the sequel trilogy, that passage has taken an additional resonance for me in the way that it connects to another quote, which is Maz's advice to Rey in The Force Awakens. Close your eyes, feel it, the light. It's always been there. It will guide you. More than any other quote in Star Wars, I found that that advice gives me strength personally. I've repeated it to myself during some particularly dark moments, whether it was a difficult challenge in my own life or just fraught periods of discourse in the fandom. And when I find myself thinking of both lines and perhaps my favorite scene in the saga when Rey faces her reborn grandfather Palpatine and reaches out to the Jedi of the past with a simple request, be with me. She asks for help, which is something I've always had trouble with, no matter how dire my situation Yet everything about the scene, from the way it's shot, the camera rising through Palpatine's lightning and out into the timeless stars to the voices and what they say to raise faith in the light being rewarded to her fearless stand brought me back to that passage from the rise, uh, excuse me, Revenge of the Sith novel. Ray has extraordinary compassion, but what is compassion if not unconditional love? And yet she always felt so alone, but she never was. And when she asked, that love was returned to her a thousandfold and gave her the strength to stand and banish the darkness for good. So what does it mean to ignite the stars? Perhaps it's as simple as the idea that in, uh, that in what seems like our darkest hour, the light is always there. If we're open to it, and if one candle is enough to hold back the dark, what can two people do? Or a thousand generations, if we're willing to ask, be with me, we may find the answer, and I'll try to remember that the next time I have to face the darkness alone. Jared, that was beautiful. Moved me. That's moving. That's great stuff. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. A great uh, encapsulation of a ton of different moments in Star Wars and how they can all come together uh, in our minds and in Jared's in particular. I found that really, really powerful and inspiring. Yeah, that was great. I I, I can't even begin to add on it, Jared, because it, it's 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 breathtaking and, and the connections we talk about the emotional canons, uh, strings around here, and why that's why that's so important to us at Force Center. And this is it. And and it's uh, hey. Begs a reread of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, uh, which is in yeah. one storage box of mine, but <laughs> I love that it yeah. connects. I love that it connects. I definitely want to check it out. Uh, I really like this uh, string Jared, that Jared uh, creates through that uh, passage at the end of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, that idea of love is more than a candle, love can ignite the stars. I think sometimes it's easy to look at a quote like that and be pessimistic and go, okay, but what does that mean? And I love that Jared drew the line toward 
we are less alone than we feel mm-hmm. if we can open ourselves and if we can reach out. And that is one of the things that, that really gives me strength and hope from Star Wars, the idea that the light side is more powerful than it can sometimes feel because sometimes we feel we are alone uh, even when we are not. And I mm. really think Jared did a beautiful job connecting all those threads. Man, great stuff. Let's go watch Rise of Skywalker again, everybody. <laughs> Audience questions we go to Twitter and Antobob. When you first saw each of the films, which Star Wars movie was the best theater going experience for you? Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's tough. What do you got? Yeah, I think in terms of the literal theater going experience to physically see the movie, uh, it, it's uh, it's impossible for me. There are so many different ones and, and so great. What my mind went to is the day that I saw Revenge of the Sith was in insane day. Mm-hmm. I was doing a children's theater at the time. So in the morning, I had three performances of Charlotte's Web where I played Templeton the Rat. <laughs> and I was stuck under the stage. The stage had a trap door and Templeton the Rat would pop out of the, the uh, stage door. So I was crammed in this tiny space under the stage. And I just remember thinking like, got to do these three shows and then I'm going to see Anakin fall to the dark side. <laughs> and then that afternoon, I went and shot a short comedy film that was uh, about generations of my own family. It was about my brother came up with it and wrote it, but it's a short film for a show that we were doing where my dad was trying to teach us how to do the art of scrimshawing. Mm. Uh, but in order to do it, we were ignoring my nephew and it was this whole weird generational thing, which I don't think we even thought about how much that attached to uh, Star Wars. We finally went and saw it at midnight and then my brother, you know, at 2.33 in the morning or whatever, uh, dropped me off at Sarah's place. Uh, my wife now, who I was only dating at the time, and I got to come in and, you know, she woke up and was like, how was it? And I was like, it was amazing. It was beautiful. <laughs> the end of a song. <laughs> and so, like, that that day uh, sticks with me because it was so much. Wow. Yeah, that's great stuff, Joseph. That's great. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to take away Return of the Jedi uh, seen it, 1983, uh, Fremont Theater in San Luis Obispo, California, waiting in line. But I didn't know. I just uh, the trailers and the anticipation for this thing I was not yet uh, aware of. Uh, and I do remember seeing it, being blown away, and driving home. Uh, not me. I was in the back of our, our family <laughs> car. Um, I think by then we might have been in a blue Subaru station wagon. Maybe a year or two later, doesn't matter. I was in the back of the car, and just literally staring up at the stars, and just getting lost in this world I just got pulled into and just thinking about the ATSDs being destroyed and the Eagles, uh, the, 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 the Ewoks and, 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 uh, uh, Luke, like I, I, I just was replaying the movie as I stared up into space and almost kind of like that trailer from new hope or, or star Wars. And, uh, you know, the, the pre, uh, uh, Christmas one where it was just like somewhere out there. Now this is happening. I was experiencing that and that was great, but I gotta tell you, um, Phantom Menace, because you know, Force Awakens was it was crazy that this was happening again, but we had been building up the anticipation, and I was working in digital media, so it was like it was something that was on my mind every day, and 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 I got to go to a press screening, so that was cool. That was a different experience, but I got to go to uh, Phantom Menace. There was no way I'd ever thought I'd be in that spot. None of us did. It was right. done and gone, and George would tell you it wasn't. And then special editions, which was a great feeling, but. 
But to see new Star Wars, and me and my friends, and I I'd waited in line for the tickets. I did the midnight figure thing, went over to Pacific Theaters in Winnetka, California, over here in, in San Fernando Valley, 10 a.m. showing, I believe it was. And a friend of mine came down from my hometown, and we were all there. And I just, the moments before, moments that, pa- I was talking about that pause between long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and the opening strains of Williams' uh, main theme. There's that pause, and there's that, and I just remember grabbing my friend and was like, I can't believe we're here. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever experienced that since, you know, and I'm always trying. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've experienced joys. I've been emotional. I remember Mark Ellis and I looking at each other before Last Jedi with tears in our eyes like, oh, buddy, here it goes. So I experienced that every time, but there was nothing quite like Phantom Menace. Yeah, it was probably the biggest scream that I've ever been involved in in a theater. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, some things in uh, Avengers uh, Endgame. But besides That's that, true. yeah, biggest scream ever. From Twitter also, we got Stephen Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick and Stephen writes, did Force Center ever review Lords of the Sith? Um, I saw this on Twitter. I'm glad you picked it, Joseph. Um, I thought we did. Right? No. We did not? We did not because I think I read it right before we actually started Force Center. Because we started actually actively doing it right at the end of 2015 uh, before Force Weekends came out, right? Um, You're right. And I think I read that in about, like, uh, it had already come out. I think I read it around September, October of 2015. I remember talking with you about it and going, oh, that one was actually really great. That was really cool. Uh, But I, I think it was before we were in the rhythm of what we do now on force center. So, uh, so maybe we can at some point. I think that's, uh, that's interesting. That's uh, okay. Yeah. I forget. Oh, force center. The first few episodes, I think October of 2015. I know because I've been going through and correcting old broken files from the anchor <laughs> switch. Um, so, uh, by the way, if you, if anyone's listening, if you go back and try to listen to an old episode and you find that it cuts off, just give us a tweet. Or if you're in the Discord server, let us know. I'm going in back when I can and replacing old episodes. We had a problem when we switched from Podomatic to Anchor. Uh, uh, admin uh, stuff out of the way. Uh, Stephen, this is great. Yeah, Retro Review, Lords of Sith. Love it. Paul S. Kemp's book, early on in Star Wars canon. It's got one of my favorite moments. Uh, which is uh, Vader uh, thinking about Ahsoka, Snips, which is the first time we really had experienced that. And we were wondering, are these two worlds going to connect, the Star Wars we knew and the Star Wars that's coming out before us now? That was a great moment. So, uh, yeah, that's that's something that we'll put down on our list there, Joseph. Absolutely. To Patreon we go. Josh uh, Eddie writes, do you think we'll get more stories about Han, Luke, and Leia post-Return uh, of the Jedi and pre-Bloodline? We've gotten quite a few about Vader, another beloved original trilogy character from uh, between uh, post-Revenge uh, 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 of the Sith and pre-New Hope. Why do you think Disney's been more willing to flesh out this story? Because we already knew uh, about his end, maybe. Now that we know their end to the story, will we get more? Yeah, great, uh, great question. Uh for, for me, uh, Joseph, I don't know what you think. I think we will. I think maybe they'll take some time because, again, they've just, quote, unquote, put the Skywalker saga to bed a little bit, right? But that's on screen. I think it would work. But I think I think maybe once they sit down and actually the story group, uh, and it's not necessarily how it always works, but on the publishing side, it might work a little bit more where here's a story that works. It's a story we want to tell, which is always the thing they come back to. We don't just tell stories because we feel we need to. If we want to tell a story and it works, we have someone passionate behind it. Um, I'm all for it. And I think, I just think it will take some time. 
Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think Josh is right in uh, in his question that there was a real uh, reticence to uh, flesh out the story before we knew the end mm-hmm. of Han Luke Leia's story. Even though we did get a little bit of that in Bloodline, uh, we got a little hints of it around the edges with the uh, rise of Kylo Ren. Um, not obviously mm-hmm. Han Luke Leia directly. But I, I agree that I think that there is a desire right now to let the original trilogy characters uh, rest and breathe a little bit. And I really agree with your point, Ken. I think from everything we've heard about the story group, like the initial reticence to include Luke in the Battlefront 2 uh, mm. narrative. We love that Luke scene and quote it all the time. But there was a, like, you got to, I remember the interviews with the writers saying, you got to really show us if there's that there's a reason to have a Luke Skywalker story. So I think something will come eventually in book form or who knows what form when it feels like there's a reason to tell this story. Gotta be a reason. And I actually really like that. Great stuff, Josh. Harrison Moeller closes out today by saying, what moments in Star Wars get you emotional no matter how many times you experience them? I've been rewatching the films chronologically with my family, and I've got to say the ending of Return of the Jedi really hit me. Well, not the end of Star Wars by any means. For a long time it was, and I tried to really feel that when watching. Since I couldn't quite grasp that when I was younger, it's such a beautiful ending, and I'm a fan of the special edition change of including Hayden Christensen of Anakin's Force Ghosts. Anakin is my favorite Star Wars character, and seeing him there smiling at his children just brings up just brings the whole saga at the time full circle. I was just in tears while watching it, my heart full of joy and sadness. Thankfully, that's not the end, as we've had some great stories in the last few years. But if that had been the end, I think that would I would have been okay with it. That ending will always get me emotional. Yeah, this is um, yeah. What gets you, Joseph? Because because it, it sometimes it changes for me. Uh, sometimes it hits me just different points of my life or different points of my day or year. You know. Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many that have uh, hit me over the years, uh, but it's the rise of Skywalker right now that really continues to hit me emotionally. Uh, for many of the things that uh, that Jared expressed really well in his Power of the Light Side entry, but the two many things in Rise of Skywalker, the the cheek touch uh, that saved the galaxy, that always gets me. Mm-hmm. Um, in that whole passage of Ray opening herself up to the force into light and hope and all those voices are great but yoda saying never alone were you mm. just really grabs me because again it goes to that feeling of it. it it's powerful in the story but it feels powerful in real life it is so so easy even when you know intellectually that you're not alone it is so emotionally easy to feel totally alone and to hear that kind weird voice of yoda go you were never alone at all just breaks me every time yeah oh yeah that's great uh that yeah that gets me too um shmi skywalker giving away uh anakin i think it's powerful it's grown for me over the years and its importance and what it means to me Uh, i go to that one a lot uh i i too am am generally okay with with hayden showing up in jedi uh i'm i i i get some of the reasons not to like it i I do like that now but yeah i gotta tell you it's not just because it's so fresh but the rise of skywalker hits me in a different way it is the journey it is a big thing and and you ever want to know like hey did did, 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 kind of 
Joseph really love this stuff that much? Uh, yes. Yes, because the first time I saw it, I cried, and I cried, and I got it. I got why I would cry. I had some friends of mine who were like, ah, I didn't really like the movie. Oh, I cried at that spot. I cried there, too. I cried there, too. So it's going to happen. But it's the, it's the next viewings where I cried at different points because I was connected to it. Uh, I talked about how I think it was like the third viewing that it's not a Navy. It's just people got me. Mm-hmm. And part of, one of the reasons, got, you know, hearing Lawrence Kasdan talk about Return of the Jedi and Empire of Dreams, I just rewatched Empire of Dreams, great dog. And if you hear him in his Lawrence Kasdan voice, but just kind of say, like, that's the point of Jedi. That's the point that the, the power is with the people. And if the people come together, they will always win. And, and for that to connect back to Red Skywalker is powerful. The Ray stuff, you're so right. The Yoda one jumps out at me. I love hearing Luke say, you know, the force will be with you always. So that movie moves me because it is so connected, it's so well connected to everything that came before it. It pulls me in on different times. And, you know, again, it is fresh. Am I always going to have tears in my eyes during some of the scenes? Nope. Eventually I'll be eating a taco and doing something on a computer and watching Rise of Skywalker in the background, and it won't hit me as much. But for right now, Harrison, it's getting me a lot. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Ray Skywalker, all the time. I saw it in the theater six times in in Ray Skywalker. It feels like such a completion Mm -hmm. and such an acknowledgement that we can all oh, yeah. uh, follow the spirit of Skywalker that it always, it always gets me. It, I, God, I'm just thinking just uh, the, the, the most powerful I know in Han Solo's life comes to be if, as a memory before his son. And that gets me, Oh, it gets me a lot too. Yeah. Good stuff. Harrison, Josh, Steven, uh, Antobob, we're supposed to have, uh, you know, uh, run through these questions a little bit here. Oh, and we can't forget uh, Jared with his beautiful power of the light side. Force Center is built uh, on your uh, love of Star Wars out there. We're just in front of the microphones talking, but our journey hopefully is your journey and that your journey is even more powerful. We love hearing from you all. If you want to write us, uh, there's ways to do it on Twitter, Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center. Find our Facebook page. Or on Instagram as well. Podcasts available in a lot of different spots, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Search for it. If it's on something that uh, we're not on something you you use, let us know. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash force center. Patreon.com slash force centers where you can support us. And your support helps directly. New music on Star Wars Ranked coming this week. A big Empire Strikes Back themed Star Wars Ranked. It's going to be a lot of fun. And new music from the great Tony Thaxton on there. We're on YouTube as well. So head over there. Uh, Joseph, we got uh, Star Wars Show and Tell this week with a special guest, Mike Black. You excited about that? Oh, I'm so excited. I love uh, Mike Black, and I love how much he loves toys, so I can't wait to see Mike Black's toys. Uh, also wouldn't have been fun if Joseph was like, nah, not really excited. Um, well played, sir. And we got our own stuff. You can follow me at Kednapsuck or go to Kednapsuck.com for information on all the crazy things I'm doing, including a new baseball podcast coming soon, Box Score Heroes. Joseph, they can follow you as well. That's right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com for all sorts of different comedy adventures, comedy albums, comedy book, my other podcast, Obsessed. Uh, this most recent uh, episode of Obsessed, my wife and I talk about our time in the Fringe Festival, that show I mentioned, we're showing the Fringe, dive into a little bit of that part of my life and how much it impacted me. So go check that out on Obsessed. And I should remember to plug Tigtone. It's the adult swim fantasy comedy show that I work on. 
Tigtone, you can go to adultswim.com slash Tigtone to check that out. Ah, uh, yes. In one of the episodes featuring the uh, great, now unfortunately late Fred Willard. Man, I just love that you got to work with him, sir. So let's uh, all, everyone honor that and go, go seek out that episode. Yeah, he was so amazing, so humble, and so kind. I got to interact with him uh, when he came in to record the voice, uh, do some voice acting of some some lines I wrote, and he was nothing but uh, humble and kind and excited to play a wizard. <laughs> there you go, like a true Jedi. That is it for this week. Empire Strikes Back. It's 40 years old, and we love talking about it. Again, look for that big Star Wars ranked on Thursday. We're going to talk more about The Empire Strikes Back. Thank you all. Keep celebrating Star Wars. We'll see you. This was Force Setting.